Welcome all you lunatics to episode 131 of the Grave Plot Podcast. I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. And boy howdy, are we just glad to be here. Taylor looks ecstatic. <laughs> That's his ecstatic face. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is episode 131. This is our round two of our salute to Stephen King. Um, we did this once before. And it's, with, with your farger. Yeah. And uh, we split it into two parts because my dad loves, loves to, to talk. talk. Jinx, buy me a Coke. <laughs> not going to do that. Uh, and um, yeah, so we split it into two parts. Um, first part got fucked up. Remember that? Mm. Yeah, the underwater robot voice. Yeah, which sucked because we still don't, to this day, don't know what happened. Um, and it was a lot of good discussion that just, it, it, uh, like Thanos snapped his fingers. Yeah. I mean, like people who were watching live before we started the podcast know we don't do technology well. No, we're not smart people. Um, and it takes us a while to figure out things like this. And, uh, I think, uh, 131 episodes is about, about good, right? We should get it by now. Yeah. I think we've gotten to a point where we've got it pretty well figured out. As long as I can remember to set the mixer as the microphone. <laughs> yes. That seems to be uh, my one remaining downfall. <laughs> you did it this time, right? Yeah. Okay. See? <laughs> Thank. Let me check. <laughs> uh, anyway, how long has it been since I've seen you, Taylor? Oh, man. We, I, we, I told you to... We were watching that Fresh Off the Boat show, and Lloyd was on the episode we were watching last really? night. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, been about, about about two weeks? No, it's only been about a week. It hasn't been a week. Yeah, we went and saw Jurassic Park last weekend. Yeah, we did, at uh, at uh, the Mopop. Uh, but yeah, that was fun. It was. Seeing it on the big screen, because I don't, I don't think I saw it in the theater when it was new. I did. Did you? Yeah. Um, it was the first like scary movie I saw. Terrifying. <laughs> uh it was creepy because when I saw it, it was like pouring down rain. Mm. You know? And so it was like sitting in my room and just looking out the window. And it's just like pouring down rain. You know, rain's beating on the window. And I'm just picturing this giant eyeball just like appearing in my window. <laughs> yeah, I think the first time I saw it was when uh, my friend got the laser disc. Oh, shit. It's funny because as we were watching it, uh, even to this day, I can remember when you have to flip the laser disc over. <laughs> There's two laser discs, like two double-sided discs. For those of you that are not old enough to remember laser discs, they were basically like CDs, but they were the size of records, like full-size records. Um, they were double-sided like a record, um, but they looked like CDs. And you played them in this basically like an ancient DVD-style player. They didn't last long. No, because... Uh, I think the technology was too expensive at the time um, because DVD didn't even really pop up right after. It's just like LaserDisc was like for rich people and, you know, not enough rich people were buying them, I guess. Yeah. And then everybody just ultimately went back to VHS. It's like, oh, we fear change. (laughs) Uh, But then DVD came along and saved us all. Yep. Made the world a better place. Did. Because you could rewatch things without the quality getting worse. Yeah. For the most part. 
And you didn't have to rewind them. That was that the was biggest great. bonus. That was so beautiful. Uh, you could like jump to scenes. That was, you know, because on VHS, you're like, nope, that's not it yet. <laughs> yeah. It's like sometimes you just want to watch Basic Instinct and you just want to see the beef. <laughs> you don't want to watch all the exposition that surrounds that scene. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to get right to the boobs. <laughs> I've talked before about how uh, the scene in Zombie um, where she pops off her top and goes scuba diving topless changed me growing up. Um, the DVD was important to that. That was when you realized that you could watch it over and over and have it diminish. Yes. You burned a hole in that DVD yeah, just and- in that one spot. I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> just I watched it so mar- so much that that low level laser actually burned into the DVD. Ah, <laughs> uh, neat. We're old. Yeah, yeah, we are. Remember Betamax? That was a fun thing. I don't really. Yeah, oh, I I just kind of barely remember it because it was on its way out. But VHN VHS had reigned supreme. <laughs> I will wait supreme. Not after these beers. Joey Pants. Uh, so, how's it going, Taylor? It's going well. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's new? What's new with you? Uh, not a lot. Tomorrow's WrestleMania. Yeah. Are you excited? I am. I'm having a ton of people over. Really? Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Mm. Nice. Nice. I'm I'm not gonna be here. I know because you're you're a loser. You're a jabroni. Sure, I guess. Speaking of which, you see, Batista is gonna be an Army of the Dead. Uh, did I? Maybe. Well, he is. Sounds like something I would have seen. He's gonna be all like, "Give me what I want." <laughs> that's the best promo in a long time. That's, oh wait, you explained that to me. Yeah. That's that's a wrestling thing. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh oh, what happened here? That was probably when the Wi Fi shit out. Fucking wife. Fucking wife. You said fucking wife. You hear that? No, I said Li Fi. Oh. That's not a thing. <laughs> fucking life. <laughs> Fuck my life. <clears throat> um, So, uh, your boys are going to be at Crypticon again this year. My boys? They're, they're boys. Oh, their boys. Got it. <laughs> We're the boys. <laughs> we are their boys. Yes. Uh, yeah, we are. Um, and we, we finally got our schedules. I'm going to post it on the website here in the next couple of days. Yeah, but um, I'm going to be, uh, let's see, first day, I think I'm doing allyship in horror, which I did last year. I mean, it was a panel. It had the same name, but this year it's more kind of what I was expecting last year, <laughs> where it's talking about people coming into like the horror community and not so m- There's actually a different panel this year that covers more uh, inclusiveness across different um, kinds of people. Yeah. I don't, I don't know a better way to put that. I mean, I guess lifestyles isn't really a right word because there's also like the matter of race and gender. So it's. Yeah. Gender, uh, race. Um, and lifestyle. Lifestyle, uh, you know, sexual orientation, that kind of thing. That's kind of what the panel was last year. And I was moderating it and I felt very out of my element because... Because you were? I was totally out of my element. (laughs) 
I was the only straight white guy on the panel, uh, and I was moderating for some reason. <laughs> I think I did all right. Um, You're moderating the Friday the 13th one this year, right? I am. Yeah, that was actually my suggestion, so it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're going to be doing a retrospective on the Friday the 13th series. I think that's Saturday. Um, I'm also going to be, I think I talked before, I'm going to be hosting a Make Your Own Jason Mask um, class. And uh, what are you going to be doing, Taylor? Uh, I'm going to be defending some bad movies. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, with Tony K. <laughs> uh, and I'm also going to be doing a panel called Is It Horror? Mm-hmm. Which is something, you know, we've talked about a lot on the show. Different kinds of like thrillers. Is that considered horror? And yeah. What have you. And, you know, apparently all of Jordan Peele's movies have to be questioned on whether or not they're horror. Yeah. I don't understand why. I think it's because they have like a social message. It's like, uh, is horror supposed to have a social message? Well, and because critics don't want to admit they like horror movies. That's true. There, there's also that. Like, like yeah. it. People were like, oh, it's not really horror. It's about a fucking killer clown that eats kids. Yeah, or people that are like calling very clearly thrillers. They're calling them, or ca- calling uh, very clearly horrors uh, thrillers. Yeah. Like there's a difference. Come on. Uh, so yeah, there's those and uh, those are the only ones I can remember right now, but I know I've got at least one other one. Yeah. As far as panels go, we're on a lighter schedule this year. There was actually a pretty significant cutback in the amount of panels this year. Um, I think that had to do with us having fewer rooms to do them in, um, at the venue, um, which is fine. You know, I I feel like, uh, in the years past, like at least I know that especially splitting duties between being in panels and or moderating them and then also wanting to attend panels, it, was, it became a, an issue because I was trying to do too many things at once. Well, and then on top of that, you've got films and you've got celebrity panels and yeah. you know, and then the celebrities are just in the, uh, the, the main room, whatever you want to call it, plus all the vendors. Vendor room, I guess that's what they call it. Ten, they yeah. tend to call it that, yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, speaking of celebrity panels, uh, we mentioned it before, but we're actually going to be talking to uh, um, C.J. Graham. C.J. Graham, Eugene Clark. That's uh, Big Daddy (laughs) from Land of the Dead. And uh, David Howard Thornton uh, from Terrifier. Art the Clown. Art the Clown himself. Speaking of killer clowns. It's going to be exciting. We've got a lot of preparation to do this year. It's funny, we have fewer fewer panels, but so much more work to do. (laughs) Like, I don't know about you, but if like, especially because this is our first celebrity interview, I want to make sure we're prepared. We go in there knowing what we're talking about. And so far, I've done nothing. I mean, you know, we've done interviews on the show, but not live. And not three people. Well, we've done three people, but not... When we've had three people on, they were people that had something to do with each other. Yeah, that's true. Three different people with three different careers. The way they have to be addressed address equally. That makes it so much easier, though, because you ask one question and then you get three answers. That kills a lot of time. It's true. Maybe we should just do three, three, inter, three 20 minute interviews. <laughs> we will get to you, Eugene. Just, just sit you there. You wait your turn, sir. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, and the Jason mask one. I've got, so there's 15 slots in the class. Uh, Jason told me last that there were 10 slots taken, so that's pretty sweet. Um, but I have all the masks 
And just in the interest of saving time, I want to prep them, you know, get the holes drilled out and mm, get them yeah. shaped. Um, I might put a base coat of like primer on them just to get it started. I'm not sure about that part, but that's a lot of prep work. Um, and I haven't started that yet, so. <laughs> but I'll, you know, I'll get there. Yeah. I need to buy a couple masks for myself too, which I didn't think to do when, when I ordered the big order. Um, so I can work on one ahead of time just to make sure I'm, you know, I know what I'm doing and how I'm going to say it. Um, and then ha- have one to actually work on during the class. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe if we don't fill up all the slots, I'll just use some of those masks. Well, five spots left, guys. So head over to uh, CryptoConSeattle.com. Reserve your spot. Yeah, we also have an event on Facebook. You can buy directly from there, too. Um, it's just called Make Your Own Jason Mask Class. Yep, that's what it is. Crypticon 2019. Do it. Be there. It's um, the weekend of May 3rd through the 5th. Yeah, first weekend of May. Uh, yeah. Stinko de Mayo. Crypto de Mayo. Uh, That's what they called it last year. And they called it that. They, they did call it they that. that. <laughs> All right. All right. Before we go too far, I guess that's probably, yeah, we've talked enough. 16 minutes. Uh, <laughs> Tony. Yeah. Why don't we thank some Patreon patrons? We could do that. Uh, so every month we have uh, a, uh, a group of people, special people, uh, elite, you might call them. The elite. I mean, the, the elite. If you're listening to the show and you're not one of our patrons, you are not elite. You're, you're not elite. Seven, three, three, seven. Stop it. Um, but these people are elite because they give us their hard-earned dollars every month. Um, those people are Kevin Nesgoda, Jordan Morrison, Kevin Trent, Joshua Hodges, Carlos Rodella, The Horror Addicts, Max Zaleski, and Aaron Meyer. Thanks so much, guys. We really appreciate it. Um, your money goes a long way to keeping this show running. Um, good stuff. Hey, Fonzie. Hey. <laughs> yep. <laughs> My thumbs. Hey. Taylor. If anyone else wants to contribute to the show, where can they go? They can go to patreon.com slash graveplotpodcast. As little as $1 helps keep the lights on and gets you exclusive content, including monthly video reviews of films chosen by you, including the one we just did recently for Home Movie. We got one coming up this month for Slither. So, uh, you know, higher tiers get you more stuff, naming the show, uh, some extra videos, up to $100, which will get a tattoo of a fat unicorn right on my ass. That's right. Still waiting. Had uh, had offers, but nobody nobody's committed. Yep, that's true. They're all lying. They're all lying to me. They're lying to you. They're lying to themselves. <laughs> anyway, so that's enough of that. Shall we get started with the show? Let's shall. All right, guys. Let's talk about some horror business. So, in the world of real-world horror, uh, we're going to take a trip over to fucking Massachusetts. So, we had two real-world horror stories, and uh, I put a poll up in our Facebook group, The Graveyard, 
facebook.com slash groups slash podcast. And the people chose this one. So, yep. Facking. I think they just wanted to hear our, our fucking wicked Boston accents. Wicked cool, boss. Um, so, in Wilmington, Massachusetts, there's a little store. It's a, it's a chain of stores you may have heard of called Market Basket. Market Basket. That's what I said. Market Basket. Market Basket. Market Basket. Market Market Basket. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, that joke's a little more tired than I thought. <laughs> Only like six people get it. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, in Wilmington, Market Basket. Uh, Market Basket. Okay. <laughs> that's enough. Someone posted on social media um, a, a uh, uh, what's the word? Somebody who goes somewhere. <laughs> what? <laughs> Never mind. Vagabond. <laughs> No, somebody who like uh, shops somewhere. Like they they regularly shop there. Shopper, you're fucking useless. Regular. Uh, patron. <laughs> we just talked about patrons <laughs> for like three minutes, but the patrons I know are the suckers that give us money. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> uh. Okay, uh, back on track. Uh, someone in Wilmington, Massachusetts, posted on social media that they saw a ghost. Ghost at a local market basket. Um, the person said the ghost was an old Victorian era woman in her nightgown near the frozen peas. <laughs> and then you know what they did? They were all like, "Get her! <laughs> Get her!" That's your big plan? <laughs> Get her. <laughs> um, yes. And we all know how much ghosts love frozen peas. <laughs> so it makes sense. Uh, hundreds of people have weighed in on the post, uh, including others who have claimed to have seen a ghost in the store. So this is a hot spot. They were like, we don't even carry frozen peas. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! You know what they should do? They should get Zach Baggins and his giant pants to come check this out. Did he just catch ghosts in his pants? Is that the deal? <laughs> like the Ghostbusters trapped in his pants. Yeah. Come, be with me. Get in my Jankos. <laughs> um, Justine Griffin, a spokeswoman for Market Basket, says in the statement to the Boston Globe that, as far as we know, all of our stores are ghost-free since 1957. <laughs> um, and if there is anything to, to the ghost story, it's probably because she's attracted to our Victorian-era prices. Boo! Man, those PR people, they're just on fire. <laughs> Fucking shills. <laughs> it's like... I don't know how they always manage to spin that shit into our low, low prices. <laughs> but it's impressive, especially in things like this. I suppose. It's like we con we uh, regularly run a, uh, a savage deal on frozen peas, which is probably why the ghost went there. Um, yep. 
If you don't, if you don't buy some frozen peas, you will be haunted by your mistake. <laughs> Is there an actually an actual picture or just somebody? No, nah, just somebody was like, "Oh yeah, I saw this thing," mm. and people were like, "Oh yeah, me too, bro." Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, I saw Elvis Taco Bell. Did you see Elvis at Taco Bell? Nah. Okay, well, I saw him there. You didn't see shit. I don't have a picture or nothing, but I saw it. Oh, wait, there's a video. Wait, this, this might just be like a news report. I don't think that's actually, I don't think they show the ghost. Oh, yeah, that's just a news report. They're yeah, that's right. NBC10 Boston. I don't give a fuck. They might show the frozen peas, though. <laughs> the fable frozen bees. <laughs> oh wait, there's there's a picture. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Nobody knows what we're laughing at. Fuck them. Yay, podcast. <sighs> yeah. Um, so what do you what do you think about um, ghosts? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe. So, I mean, it's like probably not. Was somebody all like, I, f- I saw a fucking ghost. He was fucking wicked creepy. There's a goddamn ghost over there. Um, you fucking shout ahead. <laughs> uh, the other day, I don't know if you saw this, but Nesgoda sent me a tweet of, of, uh, closed caption TV clip of this guy getting his leg like there's two guys laying in a in two like beds or cots or something uh one guy like this the door opens seemingly by itself and then one guy's legs start lifting up in the air and he kind of gets pulled off the bed did you see that he told yeah he told me he was gonna send that to you okay um (laughs) and he's like uh hey tony why don't you explain this it's like i mean probably the same way they did this and i sent him the clip of uh katie in paranormal activity getting pulled off the bed. It's like, I mean, they probably did it the exact same way. (laughs) (laughs) And there were no ghosts involved. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he wants us to start a YouTube show where you just explain paranormal videos that he sends us. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Because while I don't believe in ghosts, I don't feel like, just like I don't expect anybody who does believe in ghosts to explain why they do, I don't feel that I should have to justify why I don't. That's like religion. Sure. But my, you know, like, it's like, whereas, no, I'm not going to say that. Never mind. (laughs) That's going to piss a lot of people off. I don't know what he's going to say, but it's probably for the best. Yeah. I have a tendency to make people angry and I'm just just not going to do it today. (laughs) I might do it later in the show. I don't know. (sighs) Yeah. Ghosts, man. Fucking... F- fucking market basket, dude. <laughs> Wicked awesome. Creepy. She's crafty. She gets around. She's crafty. She's always down. She's crafty. She's got a crack. She's crafty. And she's just my type. So for months, if not years... They have been talking about remaking the craft. Why? No one. No knows. one really knows. <laughs> it wasn't that good the first time. Yeah, I mean, it's like it was just more fucking nineties teen sem- semi horror movies, like like anything else that came out around that time. And it's just like, 
Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. I like developed this cult following, but even like the people who are in this cult following are still like, that's not very good, but like, <laughs> but, but it's cool, right? Because uh, witches, if you're a witch, it makes you cool because you're like dark. Witches be crazy. Uh, so Blumhouse is like, oh, we want to make remake things now. So yeah, we'll do it. Sure. What the fuck ever. Yeah. I mean, to whatever. You just go ahead. Yeah. That, that's my thing. It's like, as long as it'll keep you quiet. Was it like, they were like, we're going to remake this. And they were like, people were like, okay, do it. They're like, oh no, not us. Like, <laughs> like, we we want a studio to do it. All the studios were like, we're not going to do it. And then finally Blumhouse was like, we'll do it. <laughs> Uh, we'll make it for hella cheap too, like so cheap. <laughs> because they say hella there, they they probably do. <laughs> uh, then they probably say bro and bruh, not like not ironically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have these personas for for people that are probably nothing like what they really are. But like to us, Jason Blum is this frat bro. Yeah, the Duffer Brothers are like surfer idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, fuck them. <laughs> We've just built these characters out of real people. We should start a sitcom with our characters. <laughs> just like uh, Frank Gyllenhaal and Tommy Blum. Tommy Blum. <laughs> we haven't talked about Frank Gyllenhaal in a while. <laughs> um, so what is interesting about this is finally Blumhouse is going to have a Feature film directed by a female. Uh, it's gonna uh, be well, a, a, a uh, like a wide release, like theatrical studio. Release. That's the word. A theatrical release. Yes, film. Yes, because you know, friend of the show, Gigi Sal Guerrero, just directed something for Blumhouse. Yes, she did. It's going to be out in July, I believe. That sounds right. I think it's the Fourth of July version of the monthly, whatever the fuck, Into the Dark yeah. series. Have you watched any of those? Nope. Yeah, me neither. I thought the one with the with Puka or whatever it was called, the first one, yeah. looked interesting, but I never actually watched it. Yeah, I saw like commercials for it, and then it's like, uh, from Blumhouse. I'm like, oh, never well, mind. I can probably wait on that then. And my father-in-law told me to watch it. I was like, eh. I do like that the new one is called I'm Just Fucking With You. <laughs> is it? Yeah, it's the April Fool's Day one. Ah, got it. Uh, this is going to be directed by actress turned director Zoe Lister Jones. I don't know her. I don't either. Uh, based on a script she wrote with Daniel Casey, this is her first major studio film as both a writer and director. Uh, and like I said, first major studio, ma- major studio Blumhouse horror movie is the way it's described here uh, to have a woman at the helm after Jason Blum said a bunch of stupid things about how women don't want to direct horror. Yeah. I love how, like, he's like, oh, we can't find any female directors. And then, like, immediately after that, when he got fucking burned in the media, then he magically found some female directors. (laughs) Piece of shit. (laughs) Anyway. So, uh, here is the premise of the new one. And, Tony, let me, tell me if you recognize, or if this, if you sense something off about this. Okay? Okay. When starting at a new school... Hannah befriends Tabby, Lourdes, and Frankie, and quickly becomes the fourth member of their clique. Hannah soon learns that she somehow brings great power to the quartet. That mentions nothing about witches? Well, and all of those names are different. 
Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I guess I kind of expected that. So is this a remake or is this another spiritual sequel? Since that's the hot thing to do now. I think it's probably a remake. Um, I mean, it's really hard to tell the difference. Like, what is, what is it even? We, we, we've talked about this for years at this point, And uh, I, I think we still don't know what the hell the difference is. Um, like, definitively. Between what? Remake, reboot, spiritual sequel, all these... I know the difference. I'm not sure they know the difference. (laughs) Yeah, because they all kind of seem the same. It's, I mean... In practice. You know, we've said this before, but it's... When remakes got really hot and then cooled down, everyone went, oh, I don't like remakes anymore. And they went, well, this isn't really a remake. It's more of a reboot. People went, oh, okay, reboot. Yeah, that's cool. It's like, you know, oh, what? yeah, yeah. I don't reboots, like, of course. I don't like reboots anymore. Well, this isn't really a remake or a reboot. It's a reimagining. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that seems cool. I don't really like reimaginings anymore. Okay. Well, this is a spiritual sequel. <laughs> and they're all just the same thing. Well, it's like the spiritual sequels, I have gathered those to be just like, all right, well, we want to make a movie in this series, but we're too lazy to start it over. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the parts we like and we're going to leave those in our story and we're going to make something completely different. But we don't have to build up any of the backstory because it's already there, but only the parts we want. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know really under, really what this is supposed to be. I feel like a lot of remakes or whatever they may be, character names tend to get changed. Well, yeah, this seems very similar to what they did with Charmed. Mm, sort of, yeah. It's basically the same show, but with different people for some reason. Yeah. Um, I don't understand it. But, I mean, these are more... More a... Uh, bah, 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 current names. Like I can't, I can't think of what the names were of the characters in the original, but I feel like they were probably more... Um, like Feruza? There was Feruza? No, that's that's she's, 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 she's the actor. Uh, Nancy, Sarah, Bonnie, Rochelle. Yeah, those might be a reach for you know a and skeet. <laughs> um, those might be a reach for you know teenage girls in 2019 or 20 or whatever it is. Because you know people name their kids dumb names like Lord, <laughs> Tabby. That's what you name it, Cat. It's probably Tabitha, but yeah. Probably. Probably. Uh, it's kind of irrelevant because it's like, why? why? Why do you need to do that? Well, and like Nancy and Sarah, those are st- still super common names. I suppose. It's not like it's like B and Mabel. I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Whatever. But yeah, I'm not going to see this. The, the names aren't the right important now. part. I can tell you right now I'm not going to see this. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if I see it at any point, it's going to be like on demand. Yeah. If I see it, it's probably going to be because some sick fuck put it on Patreon. Don't give him any ideas. <laughs> uh, it's going to set air. It's mm-hmm. Rewind that. Make, let's do that better. Uh, this is set to enter production this July. So it'll probably be out early next year, I imagine. Likely, yeah. Or probably mid next year. Yeah, I guess. You know, probably, probably film through the summer and maybe part in, part into the fall and 
don't know, six months of post-production. That seems like a long time. Unless they're going to have like a lot of CGI. Which they probably will. Maybe. But I mean, like the original didn't have all that much. Like in the, in, just even in effects in general. That's true. There's like some levitation, but that was kind of it. I don't know. We'll see. Who cares? Who can take a sunrise? Who can take a sunrise? Sprinkle it with you. Sprinkle it with you. Cover it with chocolate and a miracle or two. The candy man. So last episode, we talked about the news that Yaya Abdul-Mateen uh, was going to be replacing Tony Todd as Candyman in the Candyman spiritual sequel <laughs> um, that is being produced by Monkey Paw Productions. Um, then, conveniently enough, was the next day, day after? It was in the dead zone, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which we have, the dead zone is a time is the period of time between when we record and well the times when we record uh, and all this news comes out especially when it's relevant to something we already talked about. Well, the dead zone specifically is between when we record and when the episode airs because then we can't talk about it anymore. I mean, we could talk about it the next episode, but by then it's like so long. Yeah, I mean it's kind of whatever. Yeah, it's, it's not important, but. Um, like has happened so many times before, new news dropped during the dead zone. Um, and we found out that Yaya, it's gotta be Yaya, right? I, I don't know what else it could be. Yeah. 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 I think it's like Yaya without being like such an enthusiastic. <laughs> Yaya. Uh, he is not replacing Tony Todd in Candyman. Uh, this comes according to Nia DaCosta, the director. Um, says, uh, it's been slightly misreported. I can't say what's happening in the film because we don't want, we want it to be a surprise, but he's not replacing Tony Todd. That's been reported. And I was just like, I don't know what to say about this. That's not right. Um, so just to extrapolate that a little bit, nowhere does DaCosta say, yeah, yeah, Abdul Mateen is not playing Candyman. Right. I feel like, did we speculate on that last episode that there might be a different character? Or is that something we did after the I show? I think we did it off mic. Okay. We did speculate, not necessarily on the show, but we did speculate that the, with this, I guess it must have been because we heard about this. So it it could pot- potentially be that he is going to be playing Candyman, but not the same Candyman. Yeah. Um. I'm not sure how much water that holds because it's kind of like, it's like, oh, well, Candyman is still haunting, you know, um, the, 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 gra- the land where Cabrini Green used to exist. So it seems weird that a completely different person might be still be haunting the same area. <laughs> yeah, like wouldn't Tony Todd be like, bro, this is, this is my, 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 my jurisdiction. Turf. <laughs> it's a turf war between Candyman. <laughs> Uh, back in Janu- January, Lakeith Stanfield was in talks to star in the role of Anthony, a socially pronounced artist in Chicago who researches the urban legend of Candyman. After investigating the killer's last known whereabouts, strange killings begin to occur around Anthony. The protagonist will serve a role similar to that of Helen, Helen Lyle, the main character of the original movie. It was played by... Um, Patricia Arquette. No. No. Um, I'm 
totally spacing on her name. Uh, uh, Virginia uh, Madsen. I was going to say, uh, I couldn't remember her first name. Mad- Madsen. Michael Madsen's sister. Mad Dog Madsen. <laughs> um, reports have indicated that Abdul Mateen is actually playing that Anthony character. So, there's that. Um, Tayona Paris will be playing his girlfriend. So, I mean, it's possible that Abdul Mateen is not playing Candyman. Because, like, DaCosta doesn't say that he still is. It could have just been, you know, he was announced as playing the lead in Candyman, and everyone went, oh, well, the lead, that's Candyman. Yeah. When actually they meant this Anthony character that's based on Virginia Madison's character from the original. Right. Um, Although, again, this is a spiritual sequel, not a remake. Yeah, and, you know, I just hope they don't do something like they did with uh, fucking Hellraiser, like, 6 or something, where Pinhead wasn't even in it. Yeah, I, I don't know how you could do that with the candy. Oh, I guess he could just be like a legend. Yeah. That'd be really weak. But, I mean, the whole thing with bringing back Tony Todd, as we've talked about it before, Tony Todd has got to be in his late 50s, if not 60s. Um, And he looks that age. Now, for those of you keeping track. 64. 64 years old. Uh, the last time he played Candyman, he must have been in his 40s. So, you know, almost 20 years ago. He still looks good, though. Yeah, I mean, we saw him a handful of years ago. He still looks, I mean, he still looks like Tony Todd, but yeah. he, he's older now. Yeah, I mean, the, he's the, visibly older. The problem with that is that he is supposed to be playing a spirit, not a live person. Yeah. Spirits don't tend to age. Not usually. So, I mean, that, that again, let's go back to Hellraiser. That was the problem with Hellraiser is that Doug Bradley was getting progressively older. Took more and more makeup caked on. To- exactly. And, you know, like Pinhead always wore that really tight, you know, um, turtle, it's not the right term, but like a, like a you know, a, ne- a neck piece. High collar. Yeah. Um, and uh, it seemed like that neck was just getting looser and looser to accommodate <laughs> his old man neck, you know? And just, more and more was spilling out of the top. Exactly. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I'm really torn because I love Tony Todd and I love seeing him play Candyman, even though the sequels got really bad. Um, but I'm just not, I'm not sure about him playing the role again. Because I just, I don't well, know that's if the other I'd thing is, it. if Abdul Mateen's not playing Candyman or isn't playing, isn't replacing Tony Todd as Candyman then it, why isn't Tony Todd, why is he still saying he hasn't been contacted? Like, well, you know, what this also doesn't say, says that, you know, it says uh, Abdul Mateen is not replacing Tony Todd. He doesn't say that somebody else isn't. True. So uh, that's still up in the air. So we'll see how, how it plays out. I mean, we've, this uh, starts filming when? Later this year? Yeah, sometime this year. So, I, I mean, this this will play out eventually, um, and I'm sure we'll keep up on it uh, until then.
So Michael Perez Entertainment and MPSO Entertainment have made a handful of, most of them fairly prominent horror documentaries, uh, the best known of which is probably Crystal Lake Memories. Of course, Tony is well, well-versed. That's like one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. It's so good. Uh, they also did You're So Cool, Brewster, The Story of Fight Night, and More Brains, A Return to the Living Dead. And now they're working on Angela, the definitive sleepaway camp documentary. Oh, Angela, your eyes are like two blue rockets in the sky. <laughs> oh, I hope na, so. Na, na, na. Hey, if anybody out there knows what we're talking about, I'll send you a magnet. Um, yep. Leave your comment in the or in the comments. Greatplotpodcast.com. <laughs> Leave your answer in the comments. Answer. That would have been a better word. Uh, this is a fully independent retrospective into the making of Robert Hiltzik's classic story and its cultural impact over the last 36 years. You know, we uh, we did a Patreon video for Sleepaway Camp. We did. And spoiler alert, we're not, we're not huge fans. Not really. It's not very good. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's, you know, watching it 36 years later and already knowing everything that happened in it by the time we watched it for the review. I mean, it's like, think about really low budget films today. Like ones that are made, you know, pro- probably every day in somebody's backyard or somebody's office or something. <laughs> these are just razor thin budget movies that are getting cranked out by these independent directors. Now imagine that in the eighties, and that's kind of what Sleepaway Camp is. It's very low production value, uh, bad acting, and you know, I think these are the reasons that people love it. And I'm I'm not above that like i don't begrudge anybody for it because i i have those movies myself it's just not this one yeah um but yeah for me sleepaway camp is just not not the bee's knees (laughs) you know it's yeah it's an unpopular opinion but it's one that i share as well but anyways uh this movie this documentary is going to be supported by dozens of the original cast and crew including felissa rose who is acting as an executive producer kathan kami Kami, Pinko, Pinko, Kami, <laughs> Karen Fields, Jonathan Tiersten, Thomas Vandell, Paul D'Angelo, Michael A. Simpson, Robert Hiltzik, and so many more. This is going to feature over four <laughs> and more. <laughs> this is going to feature over four hours of never before seen set footage from the directors and crew, as well as loads of archival and behind the scenes photos. And with your help, they can get much more. He's pointing. He's pointing at you guys. Use guys, because this is now crowdfunding on Indiegogo. Have all of these documentaries from Michael Perez, have they all been crowdfunded? I don't think so. Neither do I. But this is currently at Indiegogo.com slash projects slash, keep up with me, Angela, the official Sleepaway Camp document- documentary. <laughs> documentary. Let's see what's up to that. <laughs> that was a fuck. Let's see what's up with that. That's what I meant to say. Uh, Angela, the official sleepaway camp documentary with dashes in between each one, and I'll put this put that in the show notes too, so you don't have to actually remember that. Uh, it is currently at, as of this recording, six thousand three hundred thirty-five dollars, which is nine percent of its sixty-five thousand dollar goal. Sixty 
$5,000. For a documentary? That they already have four hours worth of bonus footage for? Apparently. Uh, so you're probably wondering, well, what does my money get me for $65,000? Uh, well, let's see. Let's do a couple random tiers here. $20 will receive you a uh, personal video text message from Felissa Rose. Probably making that face. She makes that face and then, like every time somebody takes a picture with her, she makes the face. Yeah. It's like, hey, hey, Felissa, do, do, the, do thing. the thing. Do, do the, the thing. thing. You know what they should have called this instead of just calling it Angela? She called it, she's a boy. <laughs> uh, let's see. $100. What does that get you? Personalized voice recording from Felissa Rose saying, hi, name. Meet me at the waterfront after the social. It doesn't seem like it's worth five times as much as the video message. Yeah. If you give us $100, Taylor will get a tattoo on his ass. <laughs> yeah. Felissa, get a tattoo on your ass. <laughs> Uh, let's see, two, two grand will get you a executive producer credit. Meh. $300 gets you a signed poster. So, I mean, if you're like a diehard, uh, sleepaway camp fan, there's, there's stuff here. <laughs> yeah, they got some, they got some stuff. Yeah, it could be cool. So yeah, like, like I said, if you're if you're a diehard fan, this is probably going to be pretty entertaining. Tony, like Tony, you know, gave a rave review for Crystal Lake Memories, so that's a feather in the cap for Michael Press Entertainment. Yeah, I mean, Crystal Lake Memories is awesome. Um, I think he did uh, the one for Nightmare on Elm Street too. Never sleep again. Yeah, I'm not positive about that, but I think so. Uh, but I've heard really good things about More Brains. Uh, I've heard things about uh, good things about You're So Cool, Brewster. Um, so I haven't seen them myself, but yeah, he's, he seems to know what he's doing when he's making a documentary. So, so if you're a fan, head over to Indiegogo and drop him a couple shekels. Yeah. So all you Del Toro fans out there, you cocksuckers, get ready. Get ready to read. I never learned <laughs> to read. Um, fans of Pan Labyrinth, Pan's Labyrinth would be uh, maybe excited to hear that they are going to be releasing a book um, based on the film. Um, actually, I don't know if it's going to be necessarily based on the film itself or it's going to be a separate story. Um, but it's, it's a spiritual sequel. <laughs> it is a collaboration between between Del Toro and uh, best-selling author Cordelia, or Cornelia F- Funke. Is it is it Funk uh, Funke or Funky? <laughs> it has to be Funk. Probably Funk. I don't think Funke. There's no dots. Really... There's no dots over the U. An so. umlaut. It's not an umlaut. Umlaut's a different thing. The two dots. It's an umlaut. No, I thought umlaut was just one dot. I don't think that's a thing. It is a thing. It's absolutely a thing. Okay. Uh, it's going to be called Pan's Labyrinth, colon, the Labyrinth of the Fawn. So it's not Faun. So it's not Faun. <laughs> so it's not Pan's Labyrinth. It's the Fawn's Labyrinth. F- Fan's Labyrinth. <laughs> okay. That'd be a good documentary name. Fan. <laughs> That'd be tight. 
Dude, let's make a labyrinth documentary and call it Fans Labyrinth. And it'll just be about David Bowie's moose knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we'll get an interview with Jennifer Connelly and not ask her any questions about Pan's Labyrinth. Or sorry, about Labyrinth. But just ask her about the double-ended dildo scene in, in Requiem. Yes. That'd be good. That'd go really well. We'd probably get awards. And then um, do an interview with, uh, what's his name, Bluto? No. The big beast guy with the horns. The big beast guy with horns. From Labyrinth. Oh, fuck. I don't remember. It's like Bluto or Ludo. Ludo. I think it's Ludo. Oh, yeah. Ludo. Yeah. yeah just interview him. Not like the guy who played him, but like like in character. <laughs> as Ludo. Yeah. Um, it's being described as an epic and dark fantasy novel for readers of all ages, complete with haunting illustrations and enchanting short stories that flesh out the folklore of this fascinating world. The spellbinding tale takes readers to a sinister, magical, and war-torn filled well, sorry, war-torn world filled with richly drawn characters like trickster fawns, murderous soldiers, child-eating monsters, courageous rebels, and a long-lost princess hoping to be reunited with her family. Have you seen Pan's Labyrinth? I feel like I saw parts of it on a plane. Okay. I haven't seen it. I don't think I've seen it all the way through. I know that I thought it, you had. No. I know, no. I know it's subtitled, and I didn't really have that much interest in oh, it to begin with. Well, why would I watch it? I don't know, because Del Toro? I'm not a big Del Toro fan. Oh, you're not? No. I thought, I thought you were. I mean, Del Toro's cool, but it's like I'm not like just fiending for his work. I know how much you love Troll Hunters. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's for the theme song, though. Troll hunters. Uh, the book is described as a portal to another universe where there is no wall between the real and the imagined. That sounds like a psychopath's mind. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, this book is not for the faint of heart or weak in spirit. It is not for skeptics who don't believe in fairy tales. I think that's most of the world. I think most people don't believe in fairy tales. It's kind of why they're fairy tales to begin <laughs> with. Uh, and the powerful forces of good. It's only for brave the it's only for brave and intrepid souls like you who will stare down evil in all its forms. It's quoted, but not referred. It's like a disclaimer on the book, I think. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a ambitious thing to put a disclaimer on your book. Um the hardcover version of the book is scheduled to reach store shelves on July second of this year. That's soon. 2019 AD or BC. Year of our Lord. <laughs> the year of our Lord, Taylor's Lord, your Lord, everyone's Lord. Lord and Taylor. BCE is the correct term, right? BCE? Yeah. Instead of AD? Yeah. Before Christ? No, no, no. Edited? No, no. Uh, so there's... No, sorry. No, sorry. Okay, so there's BCE and then CE. There's before current era and current era. Yeah. Oh. That's... Those are the... What words. is modern era? Sports people always say, oh, is revoke the best record of the modern era? I don't know what that means. Those are just buzzwords. <laughs> they don't mean anything. <laughs> <clears throat> so... 
Are you, are you going to buy this book? Nope. <laughs> cool. Nothing against the book. I just don't buy books. I don't read. I really don't. Taylor, Taylor doesn't know how to read. I read things on the internet. <laughs> if you see Taylor write, it's like watching Charlie on uh, all Oh, of a look who's talking. You're fucking chicken scratch. <laughs> uh, you have some of the worst penmanship I've ever seen. That's horse shit. You and my dad have just terrible penmanship. Bah. <laughs> Sorry, R- dad. Rubbish. You both write in small caps, which is weird. I got that from my dad. Me and my brother both did it. Or do it. My brother did it. I do it currently. Doing it and doing it and doing it well. Like LL Cool J. I represent Queen. She was raised out of Brooklyn. (laughs) Okay. Let's move on. All right, so in a few moments, we're going to be talking about the brand new 2019 reimagining, reboot, spiritual sequel, readaptation, I guess is probably the most accurate that's, term. Yeah, I think that's how it's been credited. Of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. Some of you have probably seen it. Some of you probably haven't. Either way, you might be thinking, you know, this is doing really well at the box office. I wonder if they're going to make a sequel. Well, let me tell you right now, they're not planning on it. But Which is a good thing. They might make a prequel. Oh, no. Well, uh, actually, that could be interesting. I don't know. I mean, we saw how well Pet Cemetery 2 went. I mean, you cast John Connor and Mr. Krabs and Goose, and things just went awry. But I love Mr. Krabs. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty cool. And I mean Clancy Brown. I don't actually mean Mr. Krabs. Oh, sorry, I just, it just took me a few seconds to remember his name. <laughs> no, Clancy Brown is pretty cool. He's been in some shit movies, though. Yeah, like the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. Or, you know, Pet Cemetery 2. <laughs> Pet Cemetery 2 is not that bad. It's kind of bad. It's not that bad. It's kind of bad. It could be a lot worse. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> uh, so producer Lorenzo de Bonaventura. That is fucking fun to say. I'm going to say it again. Lorenzo de Bonaventura. He says, I generally don't start thinking about sequels until they're a success. I think if there's anything here, there's a prequel. I think if you look at the book, we didn't cover all that stuff. (laughs) Oh, all that stuff that happens. I'm glad he noticed. (laughs) uh, Before the Creed family moves in. I mean, you know, to be fair, neither did the original film. So. Also, Stephen King movies, if you made just like a one Stephen King book into a movie, it would be like four days long. <laughs> uh, he said, so I think there's a movie there, and I think I'd be particularly interested in doing that. Because again, it's the source material, and you are going towards something that also has a lot of crazy, creepy feelings about it. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yes? I mean, maybe. It, it, I guess it could be cool. Um, could be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not... Totally on board with it. Um, now, here's Chalker. I haven't read the book. <laughs> <laughs> you so, don't say. So I don't know a lot of what he's talking about. Um, I mean, there 
there isn't too much coverage um, of what happens. And I'll get I'll maybe get in more to, more into this during the actual review. But the book itself, Judd kind of talks about when he was young and things that happened because he he grew up in Ludlow. Um, you know, he spent his entire life there except for when he went off to war. Um, so you know all that the you know the stories about the pet cemetery well and more so the the micmac burial ground um goes back to, you know to when he was a child and you know predates that so they they could go back generations if they wanted to um they don't necessarily have to just cover when jed was a kid um or judd i mean so but is it's not so much can they because they can <laughs> should should they which I don't know. I don't. I don't think they should. Is there enough there to make a compelling story? Probably not. I mean, I think you'd essentially end up telling the same story, which is a problem with a lot of prequels. Yeah. I mean, look at uh, the thing. It was a prequel, but it was basically the same movie. I mean, it was a preboot, which is another fucking stupid term Hollywood <laughs> came up with. Um. Anyway, so I. I don't know. I'm not on board with this. I guess when when it, when it if, if I'm if push comes to shove, I'll say that no, I'm not really on board with this. All right, there you have it, Skeletoni, quote, not on board with this. <laughs> so that's it. That is all of our horror business, guys. We 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 made it. We're we, almost there. We are the champions of horror business. <laughs> Um, champions of our own segment. <laughs> it's like a participation trophy. I mean, horror business has gotten much easier over the years. Well, yeah, because we could stop doing 14 stories. <laughs> it used to take us an hour and a half, maybe two hours to do horror business. Yeah, that was stupid. That was insane. <laughs> Why did we ever do that? And we just would talk really fast and be like, oh, this is happening. Okay, next story. And it's like, all right, we gotta, we've got to go. we got to go. we got to go. go. <laughs> okay, but... Um, now that we have ended horror business, guys, that leads the way into our film reviews. All right, guys. So as we said at the top of the show, this is our salute to Stephen King. And, you know, we did this before, um, when we talked about the first pet cemetery, yeah, but God, it's been what three, four years by now. Uh, I think it's been five. I'm pretty sure that was like 2014. Holy hell, we've been doing the show too long. We're done. <laughs> Bye, guys. Um, no, so uh, yeah, this is our second round. We are going to be covering a uh, another couple of um, Stephen King adaptations. Last time we did the original pet cemetery mm-hmm. and it, the original mm-hmm. it. Um, this time we're going to be talking about the new pet cemetery that just came out, um, I guess last week at this point, uh, and misery. Um, now the marketing for pet cemetery is saying that this could be like the scariest and best Stephen King adaptation to date, you know, and I think over time, a lot of people have said misery is the best Stephen King adaptation just as, as far as, um, um, staying true to the source material and execution. 
And mm-hmm. I, I mean, there were, I think awards went out for that movie too. Anyway, but Taylor, which one would you like to start with? Yeah, it looks like it won. Uh, oh, well, Kathy Bates won Best Actress at the Academy Awards. That's right. Um, and well, let's see, what else did they win? They won uh, Best Actress in a Motion Picture at the Golden Globes. Again, Kathy Bates uh, also won a Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critics Association Award. Uh, but it looks like the film itself did not win Bupkis. So. Well, <laughs> it's a horror movie. Um, they were wildly unappreciated. Let's start with Misery. Okay. Since that's what we're talking about. You almost died. You have a compound fracture of the tibia in both legs and the fibula in the right leg is fractured too. And as soon as the roads open, I'll take you to a hospital. In the meantime, you've got a lot of recovering to do. There is nothing to worry about. You're going to be just fine. I'm your number one fan. My name is Annie Wilkes. I think one of my clients, Paul Sheldon, might be in some kind of trouble. You mean Paul Sheldon, the writer? Everybody sure likes those misery books. They had it at the store, Paul. They said he checked out last Tuesday. Isn't that a little strange? I guess it was kind of a miracle you finding me. In a way, I was following you. You were following me? Oh, Paul, I've read everything of yours, but the misery novels. You must be a good man. You could never have created such a wondrous, loving creature as Misery Chastain. Very kind. The presumption must now be that Paul Sheldon is dead. You dirty bird. How could you? Misery Chastain cannot be dead. Misery spirit is still alive. I don't want her spirit! I want her! And you murdered her! You don't think he's dead, do you? And don't even think about anybody coming for you, because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here. And you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die, you die. I know you've been out. Is this what you're looking for? Eventually, you'll come to accept the idea of being here. Annie, whatever you think I'm not doing, please don't do it. Annie, for God's Shh, darling. Trust me. God's sake. It's for the best. God, I love you. Okay, so Misery is a 1990 film directed by Rob Reiner. Yeah, that meathead. <laughs> the director of Harry Met Sally. And Princess Bride. And Spinal Tap. Right. He directed this. Um, rhubarb, rhubarb, peas and carrots, rhubarb. <laughs> uh, it uh, stars um, Kathy Bates and um, James Con. Con! Yep, that guy. You know him. Yeah, from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was shot by Baron Son- Barry Sonnenfeld, Feld. Barry Sonnenfeld, who went on to direct like uh, Adam- the Adams Family movies. Uh, he did all Three Men in Black. Um, Phrasing. <laughs> the Men in Black who like to have sex with each other. <laughs> hey, that guy over there looks like an alien. Yeah, we should have sex with him. <laughs> 
That is, it looks like a hot guy. Um, anyway, so this had a lot of power behind it. Um, I mean, Kathy Bates was probably not as well known then as she is now. Um, but you know, everybody knows James, James Caan, you know, from Godfather movies. Um, well, I guess probably just the first Godfather, but he had a reputation behind him. Um, it centers around, uh, Paul Sheldon, who's played by James Caan. Um, he's a novelist. Go figure, go figure that a, that a Stephen King story would be about a novelist. Um, he, uh, He's a writer who's kind of sort of against his own will. I mean, not through his own choice, has been pigeonholed into writing these smut, uh, not smut, but like romance novels about Victorian uh, era. Yeah. Um, I mean, you go to like the grocery store and you see uh, Fabio on a horse with some woman with long flowing, equally long flowing hair. he wrote those are what he wrote those things like you started saying grocery store and i thought you were going to go back to the market basket story because <laughs> it was victorian era uh there's a whole tie-in yeah i got it yeah <laughs> we love tie-ins on the show <laughs> we do love tie-ins um but the stories center around a character named misery chastain um hence the name of the movie um Paul has uh, recently re- released the final book in the Misery series, wherein he kills off Misery because he does not want to deal with her anymore. Whose name is Misery? Nobody. Nobody's name is Misery. I think it's supposed to be kind of a a, a play on things. No, so. I get it. Okay. <laughs> um, you can just make a movie called like Tire Fire. Be like, oh yeah, this guy's name is Tire Fire. <laughs> It's not a name. You can't just make up. I guess you can't just make up names. It's what most people do, actually. But, <laughs> um, so <clears throat> he uh, he has recently released the book, and there's there's kind of a flashback to him in New York with his uh, literary agent talking about how misery misery's child is is the new book. Um, it's being released, and his his agent's giving him grief about killing off misery. He says, "I never wanted to write these books." I or I never wanted this to become my career. I want. I feel like I've been forced into writing these books over and over, and it's never what I wanted to do with my life. You know, it's like I'm a writer. I wanted to be more creative than writing these <laughs> shitty enough romance novels. Um, so he is in Colorado, where a lot of um, Stephen King's novels take place. The no- novel is written in uh, released in 1987, by the way, um, and. Uh, he is he's in he he frequent every time he writes a novel he goes to the Silver Creek Lodge in uh, in Colorado uh, Silver Creek Colorado um, and there he writes his novel and he has a very strict ritual he'll he'll finish the book um, he'll crack open a bottle of Dom Perignon um, and uh, smoke a single cigarette because um, he quit except for when he finishes a book right. Um, so he does all that, and he hops in his car, and he's heading down the mountain. And this is where it kind of differs from the book, because in this, he's actually he's sitting in the lodge, and he's just getting shit-faced. He's supposed to catch a flight back to New York, but he decides instead that he's going to drive to L.A. And so he's just drunk off his ass, and he starts flying down the mountain road. Mm. And that's ultimately what causes the accident 
um, where he rolls off the road. In this, a blizzard starts kicking up. Uh, he can't see where he's going, and he just veers off the road um, and goes rolling down a hill. You know, you, you suspect maybe he's dead. Um, and uh, short, shortly after he crashes, uh, a person comes and pries open the door of his car, drags him out of the car, and um, takes him back to the home. Um, when he wakes up, he finds out that he's been taken by a woman named Annie Wilkes, who's played by Kathy Bates. Um, she's, uh, a, I mean, in the book, she's even described as a very husky woman, um, you know, <laughs> fit to be like a, like a linebacker. Um, and um, she is a former nurse, but also happens to be Paul's number one fan. Um, and, uh, so she says, you know, like, oh, there, you know, there's a terrible storm. You went off the road. I pulled you to safety and brought you back to my home. It's like, uh, sorry about your legs, but they are fucked. And they're so gross looking. <laughs> they are nasty. Uh, she pulls the covers back and she splinted his legs, but she's like, you have, uh, um, uh, he broke his tibia. <laughs> She says you have compound fractures in both of your tibias um, and, you know, just an assortment of different um, uh, injuries, basically, for, in all of his extremities. Uh, his his right arm, his, his shoulder was dislocated. He, I think he, like, shattered his elbow or something like that. Um, but his arm is in a sling, and his legs are splinted, and they're all purple and disfigured. Swollen and, yeah. So fucking nasty. Um, in the book, it goes into... It regularly goes into detail about how swollen and purple his fucking cock and balls are. Oh, God. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so she says, you know, I'm your number one fan. And, you know, the, with the storm, you know, there's there's no way out. All the roads are closed. So um, I'm going to keep you here. Uh, I'll uh, try and get you. I'll try to nurse you back to health. And as soon as the roads are clear, we'll get you to a hospital. Um, and so that goes on for a while. And then. It just kind of starts to unravel. Um, you kind of the the veneer of Annie's personality starts to kind of flake away, and you see she's actually one crazy bitch. Yes, um, she is his number one fan. She she loves the ground that he walks on, um, and she it slowly starts to become a, a reality that she is keeping him there. Um, she kind of lets slip that the roads are clear and she lets slip that the, the phone lines are working. Um, but you know, always has an excuse. It's like, Oh yeah, the road to town is clear, but not to the hospital. Right. The phone lines are working, but in town, not here. Um, so basically nowhere that Paul can get to. And you know, he's in the book, he's estranged from his daughter, but in this, he's talking about how it's his daughter's birthday and he was supposed to meet her for her birthday. Um, and, uh, so, you know, Annie continues to keep nursing him back to health. Um, but he's starting to get really creeped out and just getting, you know, antsy to leave. Um, and Annie starts kind of flying off the handle cause he, he's got with him his, his, uh, satchel with his novel that he just finished which is, I, th I thought it was weird that it was untitled in this. 
but in the book it's it's called fast cars oh really yeah so i, I wonder why they didn't that seems it. like such a strange thing to change yeah and if, I, if my memory serves it's the same story like he says he says the the book is about slum kids i'm pretty sure it's the same thing in the, in the book like as far as what the story he wrote was about weird that's such an inconsequential thing to change yeah i don't know um so he uh she says, I saw your novel in your satchel. I, I wonder if you'd mind if I could read it. He says, well, I only let certain um, certain people read my novel at this point. Um, you know, my agent, my um, my manager, and the person who rescued me and saved me from freezing to death. So she goes and often reads it, and um, she's feeding him his soup. And this is where she really starts, like the, her true personality starts to show. Um, that she's saying it's like, oh, you know, it's it's a good book, but and he says, well, what? It's like this swearing. There's a lot of swearing in there. And that's where he says, well, the characters are slum kids. He's like, I was a slum kid myself, and that's how people talk. And that's when she loses her shit and says, no, they don't. And she starts screaming, says, you know, what if I went to the store and said, hey, give me some of them cock duty <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> some effing, you know, beans and, you know, some of that damning... Helen Dammon <laughs> fruit and just um I love how many times she says cock a duty. Yeah, I know. Cock a duty and dirty birdie. That's that <laughs> those were like her catchphrases. What if I went to the bank and said, here's this bastard check? <laughs> those are those are her swear words. <laughs> it's like hearing a four year old swear. I know. Um anyway, so she she kind of loses her shit, uh spills the soup that she's feeding him. And that's when Paul's just kind of like, what's going on, Annie? (laughs) Um, Anyway, and things just kind of start to degrade. She, um, well, she goes and she picks up a copy of Misery's, is it Misery's Child? Misery's Child, yeah. Misery's Kiss. No. Misery's Child was the final book in the Misery uh, series that was just released. And she went and read it and, you know, through several sequences in the in in this part of the movie she's saying oh i'm on such and such page you know it's such a great book it's like your best work ever and then she clearly has gotten to the end where paul killed off misery um she comes practically kicking down the door she says you bastard she's like i can't believe you you did it and it's like, what like you killed misery you killed my misery um, you know, she she really starts to own the character, which kind of informs how insane she is. Um, and he says, you know, in 1817, or that's what he said, right? 1817, 1800s. Yeah. Uh, a lot of women died in childbirth. And that's, you know, obviously not a suitable excuse for her. Um, and she just starts to lose her shit. Um, and, um, I th- she just she storms out and she, uh, I think she, does she take off at that point? Several times throughout the movie and in the book, um, she will just get in her car and drive away, no explanation, no word when she's coming back. Um, and th- it was less focused on in this, but she actually kind of gets him hooked on painkillers. So at one point in the book, she leaves for two days. Oh really? Yeah, and you know doesn't call doesn't doesn't write <laughs> doesn't say when she's doesn't coming email <laughs> um and so at this point he's hooked on these uh painkillers that she's giving him and 
he starts, you know, having withdrawals and like goes into practically like a, uh, like a seizure and a coma. Oh. Um, it's fucked up. Um, but anyway, yeah, she, she routinely, routinely leaves without any explanation or when she's coming back. Um, just, she's completely unstable. Um, she comes into his room and with the novel in hand, so I figure out what we need to do. And she re- wheels in a barbecue. She's like, you need to destroy this because this is not suitable of your abilities. Um, and he tries to play it off. She's like, well, you know, I can burn this copy, but there are other copies. She's like, I know you, Paul. Yeah, she calls his bluff. And she says, I know that you, when you wrote your first novel, you made one copy and you kept it with yourself at all times um, until cause you took it around town trying to get somebody to buy it. And ever since then, you've only kept one copy of your novels because you're superstitious. You told that to Merv Griffin 11 years ago. <laughs> um, and uh, so she basically threatens him to that she needs that he needs to burn the book um so he does and so his 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 escape from misery literally goes up in flames um she comes back she says i've got a gift for you she comes back with a typewriter and a couple um uh reams reams i couldn't think of the word reams of paper she says here's here's my gift to you you're going to fix what you did. You're, you're going to write misery returns. Yep. As a tribute to me for saving your life. <laughs> and he's, he's just like flabbergasted. He's like, what do you mean? It's like misery's dead. She's like, I, I know you can do it. You can bring her back. You, you killed her. You can bring her back. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's just kind of like this in, uh, overhanging, uh, threat of injury um or just general violence that kind of forces paul into doing her bidding um you know she could withhold the 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 medication she's giving him um or she could stop feeding him or just like i said disappear for a couple days um there's always this kind of hanging over his head so he always feels kind of obligated to do what she wants um so he um he says, well, I got one problem here. This paper that you bought is no good. And she's like, I don't understand. He's like, well, it smudges. And he, he types out on a piece of paper and then smudges the ink with his finger and says, see, I need this different kind of paper. And she's not happy with that. But well, she, no, because she bought the most expensive one. She's right. Like, this, this shouldn't be. So she storms off. She gets in her car again and, and runs off into town to get different paper. Um Meanwhile, he's picked up a, a bobby pin that she's dropped on the floor. He fashions it into kind of a, a lock pick. And it's it's a simple, just, uh, you know, like an old-fashioned lock. On Skeleton this, key kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like a you know, single tumbler lock that uh, he manages to fish this bobby pin in. And this is like, it's so innocuous in the movie, him using this thing. But it's fucking tense in the book. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because he's... You know, he has to un, you know, manually lock and unlock this thing each time he goes out of the room. And at one point, the um, the bobby pin breaks off in the lock. Mm. And so he's just like freaking out because he's he's got most of it. There's just a little piece in there. But he's like, what if she finds it? What if she finds this piece of bobby pin in the lock? 
And then he tries to kind of put his mind as he's like, that's, that's possible, impossible. She's never going to find that little tiny piece of a little piece of metal in this lock. And so, but it's, he keeps coming back to it. It's like, well, what if she does find it? It's, it's tense. Sounds tense. Um, and, uh, yeah, so she, he goes out and explores the house a little bit. Um, he, he finds the phone and f- discovers that it has no guts in it. It's just a shell of a phone. Yeah. Um, and he just, he finds the pantry where she's keeping all the drugs that he's feeding her, feeding, she's feeding him. He stashes some in his pants. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, most of the movie is just like a, him, things kind of degrading. Like she is slowly showing what a fucking psychopath she is. At one point, Paul leaves the room and he is out kind of exploring. She left a picture book or a picture, a photo album out on her coffee table with an art. Like at this point, he's been there for weeks, maybe months. It's not very clear. Like beyond like the first couple weeks, you're not really sure how long he's been there. Yeah, the only thing that really uh, <clears throat> shows the passage of time is his wounds. It's yeah. really the only thing you have to go by. Yeah, you have to you know, figure that his legs were destroyed. Like they looked like they had a disease, like they were, like he was born malformed. At a, you know, a certain point in the movie, he is—he looks almost entirely healed. He still can't walk, but his legs look like they're healed. So, I mean, that kind of gives you an, an inkling about how long this has been. It's been like over the in the book, it's over a course of months yeah. that he's kept her. She's kept him captive. Um, he uh, so he's out and he sees this photo album with articles about him, saying you know, you know, noted writer missing for weeks. Um, you know, nobody's seen Paul Sheldon. And so he's like, what the fuck is this? Cause they're like pasted into this photo album. So he flips back to the beginning and, you know, it starts out pretty, you know, innocent enough. It's just pictures of her as a child, you know? Um, but then it mentions that her, it doesn't say explicitly, but in the book, it's her father and she actually killed him when she was a child. Oh, I thought it was her husband. No, it was her father. Um, but Cause he, it was shortly after she had mentioned her husband leaving her. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, she killed her father when you when she was a child. It doesn't really cover that, but you know, you see this article about so and so Wilkes dying or something, and flips more pages, and she see you like see this thing about her, you know, coming up through the ranks as a nurse, like you know, getting these honors at, at um, nursing school, and you know, becoming uh, a new nurse, and then becoming the head of the nursing department, and then becoming lead. Um, nurse at a maternity ward at a hospital. And then things start getting like, but if you're if you're paying attention to only that, you're kind of missing things because in the same pages there are related articles about somebody dying, like um, like one where she says that she becomes like the the head nurse. There's another article on that same page that says that there's this um, like a, a head of some head doctor was just died. So it's like, you know, these could be related, maybe not, but, um, and then you flip on, you see that she's the head of this maternity ward, but then these babies start dying in the maternity ward. And then she's discovered as she's been killing these newborn infants 
and she uh, goes on trial and then she goes to jail. So she's had one hell of a life. <laughs> um, That's one way to put it. <laughs> um, so in this time, she's come back and she he has to scramble back to her to his room. Um, he like while she's gone, he tries to kind of dig further and further into the house to to see more of what's going on and try to find a way out. And uh, she comes back and he's just scrambling to get back to his room, sweating his ass off. And then she comes in, sees that he's sweating. God, Paul, what happened to you? And she's like, you know it. You know damn well what happened. You left me without my pills and I'm hurting. Um, Yeah. So he's, over the course of the movie, he's been writing Misery's Return. He starts out very slow. You know, it's like, how the fuck am I going to do this? He writes an int- he writes a beginning um, where he kind of, there's not very clear about how he does it, but it's it seems like he kind of phoned it in and, and he calls him on it and says, no, this is garbage. You need to start over. Um, so he, apparently he, re- he rewrites it again and um, comes up with something to her liking. And so he continues with it. So he ends up writing this entire novel and, over the course of the movie, people are still looking for him. You know, the the state police have kind of declared him dead because they <laughs> sheriff buster. <laughs> yes, that guy's awesome. He, um, yeah, the local town sheriff, who is just like a more adept detective than state police, yeah. <laughs> because the state police have declared Paul dead. So we found his car. The door was swung open. He's not in the car, so it was presumed that he dragged himself out into the snow and probably died. We don't know where he is, so we're going to wait till the snow melts, and then we'll go find him. But uh, Buster, he goes and Who's this, like, octogenarian old man? Yeah. And his wife, who's like a Samuel Elliott mustache. (laughs) A cowboy hat and a buckskin jacket. I love when uh, Paul's agent calls... And she's like, I, I need the the sheriff or the chief of police. The guy's like, which one do you want? She's like, well, either. And he's like, well, they're both me. And I'm also a pretty good fishing guide if need be. <laughs> good old Buster. <laughs> um, he knows something's wrong because he can see in Paul's car something that completely eluded the state police. Um, that uh, the door, the driver's side door of his car was clearly pried open. Yeah. So somebody took him. Um, he says, you know, he may not be alive necessarily, but he didn't die the way that they're saying. So he's on the hunt. He's like trying to re- like find everything he can, figure out where the hell Paul went. Um, and he's kind of hot on the trail of Annie. Like he doesn't know he's looking for Annie, but he starts reading the misery books, which I don't really get. He's just trying to find some connection, I guess. I don't. Yeah, I don't know why he thinks there's going to be some kind of clue in these books that Paul wrote before he was yeah, abducted. It's, it's not like it's some diabolical plan. Yeah. That is like based on like some psychopath based something on like the, the Bible or it's, it's not like seven. I was just thinking <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's reading through all these misery novels and uh, trying to find some kind of clue. And then he finds something like a quote that just really stuck out to him. He's like, Oh, that's a powerful quote. And then uh, just so happens that Annie said that uh, when she was on trial outside of her trial. <laughs> That's a reach. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that didn't happen in the book because I, I think Buster actually wasn't even a character in the book, if I'm remembering right. That's a shame. <clears throat> no, and it would have been better if they did. Like, 
at least if they killed Buster the same way, because in the book, what happens is a state trooper comes looking for Paul and she, she, the, like he's talking to her and she's, you know, acting innocent. She's like, no, I haven't seen him, but I am his number one fan. And then she like goes inside or something and Paul manages to get his attention. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's like, so yeah, the, the, the trooper has seen Paul and he's like trying to go back to his car to radio him. But then Annie comes out with a rider mower and runs him over. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it would have been better if they did that. Um, so yeah, Buster's kind of like, uh, slowly figuring things out, even as far fetched as it may be. Um, and um, Paul is getting closer and closer to finishing the novel, um, and he's been stocking up on these painkillers to try and knock her out. I think he tries, but it doesn't work out for some reason. Uh, he put it in her wine, and she spilled the wine. That's right. Yeah, he stocked up. He stockpiled all these pain pills for days. <laughs> um, well, unless he just—it's the ones that he took out of the. That's right. Yeah, pantry. yeah. Um. He anyway. was all, yeah, he was also sticking them in the in the mattress, right? So he um he's he's trying he's trying to figure out how to get out, um and he uh, he's been like he's he's lifting this giant fucking typewriter. This it's like an old school typewriter that he's been like kind of power lifting over his head um, just to get some strength back in his upper body because he's been bedridden for so long. Um. And, uh, yeah, Buster eventually finds his way to Annie's house because um, he finds out that Annie ordered this writing paper, or this you know, typing paper at the local store. So he finds that strange. And he goes out there to investigate. Um, and he's searching around. He doesn't see anything for Paul. She's very good at putting him off, you know, making everything seem like it's okay. Uh, and he's just about to leave and Paul has been thrown down in the basement by Annie um, to hide him and he manages to make some noise Buster goes to look and that's when Annie puts some buckshot in his back yep Um. so basically all Paul's hopes of being rescued have been dashed, dashed. Jinx by me coke <laughs> <laughs> call back this is tying <laughs> um and, uh, yeah, so he finishes the novel and he's basically like, Annie implies that she's going to kill both of them. It's like, okay, well he's dead now. So now there's only one thing to do. We have to kill both. I have to kill both of us. Uh, and he says, but if you kill me now, who's going to finish the novel? I think we both owe it to misery to let me finish the book. And then we can do, then we both can die. So she lets him finish the book and. You know, he wants to make a, he says he wants to make a celebration out of it. So he, he needs his three items. She, of course, knows what that is. The, the Tom per, per, Pergnon. <laughs> Prignan. 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 Yeah. Um, Dom, Dom Prignan, right? And uh, one cigarette and some matches to light it with. Uh, in the basement, unbeknownst to Annie, Paul grabbed a can of lighter fluid um, and stashed it in his pants. He stashes a lot of stuff in his pants. Sweatpants are good for stashing. <laughs> Um, he, uh, so yeah, he's, 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 I'm, I'm very close to finishing. Let's get this stuff in order and ready to go. So she goes to get it organized. He puts the novel on the ground, 
crumples up the last written pages, has a match in hand. She walks in the room and he strikes it with his thumb. He says, you know what's on this page? It's like, this is the, the end of the book. He says, you know, does, um, who, who does misery end up with? Uh, who's misery's real father? All that information is right here. It's like, and, you know, I, I forget what his little catch line is, but he, he strikes the match. He starts singing, uh, and you're never going to get it. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> he strikes the match, lights the sheet pages on fire, and drops them onto the the, uh, the the entire novel, which he's doused in lighter fluid, and it just goes up in flames. So she collapses to the floor and starts trying to pat it out, and that's when he lifts up this fucking 50-pound typewriter and smashes her over the head with it. Um, and, uh, this takes her down at first and I think he tries to get away and she stops him because she's like a fucking unstoppable beast. <laughs> um, and, uh, they start wrestling and he like gouges her eyes out and they, they, they... my favorite is he takes the charred pages and shoves them in her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, you want this in a hole? Joke on it. Eat it. <laughs> um, and he's just, you know, choking her out and, uh, she manages to like kind of get the upper hand. She gets up and she's, I forget why she gets up. She's going to, oh, she's trying, trying to grab the gun, right? Well, she does shoot him. All right. So, oh yeah. She, she shoots him in the shoulder and then she said that she had two bullets in the gun. Yeah. Cause one. she was going to kill him and then kill herself. Right. Um, so he takes one in the shoulder. He manages to stop her and grab the gun and sh- shoots off the other one in another direction. So I forget why she gets up. I don't know if she's trying to rescue the novel or something. I don't remember either. But he trips her. She falls to the floor and smashes her head on the corner of the typewriter. That's so gruesome. <laughs> There's not a lot of blood and the like if you if you freeze frame the movie like right right when her head hits, it's clearly the dummy's dummy not very head. good. Yeah. But it like but it's, in the, yeah, it happens it, so fast. In the heat of the moment, it's really cool. Um it's very like uh Night of Living Dead esque. Yeah. And so she's done. Uh, and he's dragging himself on the floor trying to get out of the house. Uh, and she gets up again. It's like the end of uh, Club Dread. Yeah. And she starts chasing him again and, you know, gets on top of him. And he reaches for this iron pig. I don't know what it is. A sculpture or like a door stopper yeah, or something? statue or something, yeah. Yeah, and it's just a big metal pig sculpture of some sort. And just bashes, like hits her on the side of the head with it first, and then just smashes the front of her face with it. Oh, that was another part when he, <laughs> when she's coming after him, he like, he uh, he like gouges her eyes out, and then she kind of falls back, <laughs> just like palms are right in the like the butt of his palm right in her nose. <laughs> Ball strike. <laughs> uh, like I've always thought that would be so satisfying to do. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, she, yeah, so he, he, like the base of this statue, he just bashes her right in the forehead with it and she goes down and then she's dead. We flash forward 18 months. Paul's back in New York with his agent. He's written a new book. Um, apparently the, to rave reviews, everybody's loving it. Um, and you know, his, his agent says, you know, would you ever have the nerve to, write a nonfiction about what happened to you. And he's just like, nah, 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 dude. <laughs> nah, bro. Um, and, uh, he's like, you know, 
this book, or he, he's like talking about the book that just released. He says, you know, it's great that people are loving it. I'm, I'm glad that uh, we're going to be able to make some money on this and that everybody is, you know, getting good critical acclaim. But I wrote that book for me, not for anyone else. And he's like, you know, as weird as it sounds, I really have, you know, you know, regardless of what she did to me and, and what happened to me there, I do have Annie to thank for this book because what happened to me empowered me to write this book. And he says, you know, it's been so long now, but every once in a while I still see her. And here comes Annie walking around the corner with a dessert cart. Oh, they're at a restaurant, by the way. Um, and uh, right at the last moment, it switches over to a different woman. She says, excuse me, are you Paul Sheldon? Why, yes, I am. And um, so, I mean, that's that's pretty much the end of the movie. Uh, she says, I'm your number one fan. Right, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's The ending is, aside from, you know, differences throughout the movie from the book, the ending's kind of different, too, um, in that Paul is way more fucked up. Like, this scarred him. He, <clears throat> oh, shit, I forgot the hobbling scene. Yeah. Fuck, I can't I was, believe I, I left that out. I that up. So... Annie discovers that he's been leaving his room and, you know, at, like in her calm way, which is much more terrifying than her losing her mind. Uh, she says, do you know what they did back in the old days at the diamond mines when they caught the, the natives stealing diamonds, There's something called hobbling. And it's just like, um, I mean, even if you haven't seen this movie, you know, this scene. Oh yeah. It's like, it's been on, it's iconic. Yeah. It's been on like lists about like some of the most violent or, you know, best scene horror movie scenes in, in history. And, you know, um, but she takes this block of wood, puts it between his feet, takes out a sledgehammer and just smashes both of his ankles. All right. As our Patreon patrons know, I did this to Santa Claus. Yes. Yes, you did. Um, now, in the book, she actually cuts off his foot. Oh. So, and, you know, like I said, in the book, he's way more fucked up. He's He's got a prosthetic foot. Um, and he's kind of hobbling around. He's still... When she hits his foot, though, and it, like, bends around the block. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> he starts screaming in agony. Yeah, she gives him no kind of painkillers, not even, like, a shot of whiskey. Yeah. Just... She's like, oh, stop being a baby. There's just one more. <laughs> and yeah, I, yeah, I only have two feet. That's how it works. <laughs> um. Yeah, in the book, he's you know he's he's got one foot, so he's walking around on a prosthetic. Um, Should have had like a wheel, <laughs> like Rosie he, from the Jetsons. <laughs> <I'm> sure. <laughs> uh, and he's just fucked up mentally. It's 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 scarred him emotionally, um, as it would. He's uh, he's yeah, and this he's rather well adjusted, yeah. considering. And like I said, you know, he was addicted. He'd become addicted to the pills. He'd finally gotten rid of them, but he still has withdraws i mean still he's still an addict um but he's also become an alcoholic (laughs) and he he can't write he has writer's block um and in this he actually burned a decoy he didn't burn misery's return he actually Mm. kept it because he really loved the book he's like this is some of my best work um and so he actually ended up so that's the book yeah he ended up releasing misery's return um, but after that was released, he, he can't get over what happened to him and he can't write. He's, he's like you said, he's drinking too much and he can't write. Um, but at the very end, something inspires him and he realizes that he has inspiration for a new book. And so he, I guess in that respect, it's a happy ending. But 
Anyway, like I said at the beginning, this is probably one of the most faithful adaptations I've seen. Um, and honestly, I think if I'm, I'm going to go as far as to say this is probably the best Stephen King adaptation. When I'm considering um, the act, you know, the the story, the acting, and the the how true it stayed to the source material, all those things combined, um, I really think this is the best one that I've seen. I mean, I know that it doesn't stay entirely true to the source material, but over The Shining, yes, poppycock. Well, I mean, that's that's what I'm crediting it to. The Shining was so far like. Yeah, guy goes crazy in a hotel. And that's basically the 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 closest it stays. And you know, character names, but everything else is pretty different in The Shining. And I'm talking about close, staying close to the source material. And of course, Stanley Kubrick was also being a prick about it. So. Well, Stanley Kubrick is a prick, from what I hear. So, um, anyway, so yeah, this this is probably my favorite Stephen King adaptation, and I think the best. Um, well, no, not so much my favorite, but it is the best, um, best, most well done one. Um, yeah, comments. Um, I mean, I guess if you're doing all three of those things combined, then sure. I I don't think this is a better movie than The Shining. But no, this is a great movie. It's um, you know, it's it's not something that's super gory or it's not um. It's not super violent. It does have very violent moments like the hobbling scene. That's, you know, if, if there was a lot of violence, that scene wouldn't have the impact it does. Yeah. This is different than a lot of Stephen King novels and movies because it doesn't have, it doesn't involve the supernatural. I was going to say that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just kind <laughs> of the evil that men do or women in this case. <clears throat> um, you know, the, as Stephen King does, he was inspired to write this book from a personal experience. Same with Pet Cemetery, but with this one, he wrote it because uh, he had, you know, this was fairly still fairly early in his career, um, but he'd written, you know, Carrie, The Shining, a lot of, you know, um, what else? What he, he'd written, you know, a, a handful of horror movies at this, or horror books at this point. Um, and, uh, he started, decided to venture out and write a fantasy book, you know, like dragons and shit like that. Um, and people, like, not necessarily commenting on the book itself and its quality, but the fact that he didn't write another horror novel. And so that's kind of what inspired him to write this. It was like when Jim Carrey made The Cable Guy. Sure, yeah. It's like as great as The Cable Guy is, people were like, what? <laughs> or... Uh, um, the movie where he was in the theater majestic majestic people hated that movie or the truman show or the truman show people people liked the truman show though that's true people hated the majestic for no reason i never saw the majestic really yeah it's pretty good um but anyway yeah so like i said this is probably not my favorite necessarily i'd have to pick a favorite i'd have to give it more thought i'd think um but this is, I think, by far and away the most true and best constructed Stephen King adaptation. Well, this, I mean, the, the tension in this movie is just, it's palpable. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny that it comes from Rob Reiner, oh, of all people. 
yeah, that's very, it's <laughs> really strange because I don't, I mean, I'm not too familiar with his career. I mean, I know a handful of movies that he did, but I don't know that he's ever directed another movie like this. I mean, he's most well known for comedy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, James Caan and, and, um, Kathy Bates have obviously gone on to successful careers. Um, Whenever I think of this movie, I always think of the stupid throwaway line from How I Met Your Mother. But when Ted is, he's, he's, the group is doing something and they don't want Barney to come. But so he's like, yeah, we're going to have a Kathy Bates movie marathon, but not misery. <laughs> what the fuck? Insinuating that this is her only good movie. Wait. Because they don't want Barney to come. Oh, got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, I'll, I'll give this movie an eight. Um, I wish it hadn't changed the ending. I wish, th- cause I feel like they, they lightened up the ending to appeal to more people. I think if they went with the, the actual ending in the book, it would have been a little too dark and people would have been turned off by it, but I wish they would have. Yeah. So that's why I'm kind of docking it a little bit. Interesting. Well, I mean, I haven't I haven't read the book, obviously, because it's a book. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot about this movie I don't like. Um, we didn't even mention Misery the Pig. Yeah, she's kind of inconsequential. Yeah, she she has a pig named Misery. Yeah, <laughs> who's in the credits as Misery the Pig as herself, right? <laughs> um. Yeah, I get, I'll give it an eight. Yeah. I, I thought about giving it a nine, but, you know, and then, like, I started putting it against The Shining in my mind, and I was like, yeah, no, it's, just, it's not not that level. So I'll give it an eight. Okay. So now we're going to talk about the brand new second adaptation of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. So many trees. It's beautiful, right? It's definitely not Boston. Here we go. Okay, so, what do you think? Wow, this whole place is ours? I even got him to throw in a whole forest as a new backyard. each other go into the woods at night they knew the power of that place they feared it those woods belong to something else the ground is bad. God! Maybe just some crazy folk tale. But there is something up in those woods. There's something that brings things back. Dead is better. 
All right. So with remakes and especially like readaptations, it's always kind of weird to know where the spoiler line lies. Mm -hmm. Because like a lot of stuff that we're going to give away was in the original. So it's like, is it really a spoiler then? Yeah. I think start off by saying a lot of this is different. Yes. And a lot of it is different just for the sake of being different. Yeah. Which kind... I couldn't tell if it annoyed me or if I thought it was clever. I thought it was kind of annoying. It was it was annoyingly clever. Let's say that. Sure. It was just too clever by a half, <laughs> as they say. Um, I mean, I'm, I assume most people who are listening probably know the story of Pet Cemetery, But the Creed family... Uh, Lewis, Rachel, their two children, Ellie and Gage, they just moved to uh, middle of nowhere, Maine, Ludlow, from oh, yeah. from fucking Baston. Uh, they have a brand new, their backyard is just a giant forest. They have all this land. And uh, one thing that's different, I, I again, surprise, I haven't read the book. But one thing that's different from the original is this one has this, like, these children doing this procession. Yeah, that's not in the book either. Okay. I don't know why they did that. It was just an excuse to have some creepy masks, I guess. Basically. But it's these, every time, you know, Judd Crandall, their neighbor, explains it as every time an animal dies, these children, or he just says people. He didn't even mention specifically that it's children, but they have this procession to the pet cemetery that is in the Creed's new backyard. Right. And Rachel's just kind of like, all right, let's go back inside. Instead of like, hey, go away. <laughs> Get off my property. Get out of my yard. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. <laughs> uh, Lewis, he... A lawsuit waiting to happen. What? Letting a bunch of kids bury animals on your, yard, or in your property? Yeah. So Lewis, he was a doctor in Boston. Now he's working at uh, a local college. On is it his first day? Uh, yeah. I mean, he seemed to know the nurses, or at least the head nurse. Yeah. So, but I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. That might it may just be his first day of work. Yeah. But he's you know he he gets there and the, one of the nurses says, "Oh, you got one already, a kid with a nosebleed." And he's like, "Oh, sounds serious." Yeah. He's coming from a, uh, a busy hospital as an ER doctor in Boston. So. Yeah, and they they moved out here so he could kind of slow down. He could spend more time with his kids, that whole kind of thing. But first day, this kid gets wheeled in, just got hit by a car. And I'll tell you right now, the first thing that disappointed me is that Pascal looks a lot better in the original. Yep. I'm like, with all the technology advances and better makeup and all this stuff, why does Pascal from the original look like he's got a giant hole in his head and this kid looks like you rubbed half a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on his face? (laughs) Like, seriously, it's just like some mush on the side of his face. The blood in his eye was cool. Yeah, it looks pretty generic. Yeah, it looked really tame. And that was very disappointing. But this kid, Victor Pascal, dies on the table. But Also, a change from the original and from the book itself, because it does mention that he's a blonde-haired white kid. Mm. He's, he's black in this one. Yeah. Which, I mean, whatever, whatever but, but why? Yeah. <laughs> um. But Lewis has this vision of him like waking up and saying, Lewis, the, what does he say? The veil was not meant to be broken. Yeah. And Lewis just like, well, that's fucked up. 
Uh, flash forward to Halloween. Was it Halloween in the first one? Um, when when the cat gets killed. Yeah. No. Because I, I don't remember there being a Halloween scene in the original. Because in the original, like I forget exactly how it plays out in the book. Um, Ellie, so Rachel, Ellie, and Gage are at her parents' house. Thanksgiving. That's what it was. They're gone on Thanksgiving. And well, like this part, I at least I understand why they did this, why they made it Halloween. You do? Yeah. I'm, hang, give me a second. <laughs> I'll get there. But one thing we forgot to mention is their home is right on this street that's frequented by uh, trucks, truckers. They, they're all, at least in this one, they're like gas trucks, gas station, going from gas station to gas station, unloading. In, I mean, in the book and in the original movie, it they were... Uh, Loggers, right? Chemicals. Oh, chemicals. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe they were loggers in the original movie. But in the book, it was the the, the Rinko chemical plant. Okay. But Judd finds their cat, Church, dead on the side of the road, hit by one of these trucks. And this is, he tells Lewis, he's like, you know, he says, take the kids trick-or-treating, have your Halloween. But when you get back, you and I need to take care of this and we need to do it tonight. Which to me was an illusion is, you know, Halloween saw when the veil is the thinnest between living and dead. That was It's not explicitly mentioned, but I guess it could be. No, just the fact that he says, like, we have to do this tonight. That was the impression that I got. But so they go to the pet cemetery and Lewis starts digging a hole and Judd is just being all cryptic, and he's like, you know, well, Ellie really loved this cat, right? And he's like, well, yeah. And he's like, and you love Ellie? And he's like, no shit. <laughs> my fucking daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and Judd's like, all right, well, come with me. And they climb over this big wooden wall made of just, like, loose logs. Yeah, it's, it's referred to as the deadfall in the book, and I think they call it that in the, in the original, in the, in the original movie. Um Anyway. Yeah, and then they, they walk through the swamp and they just do this big trek and of course lightning starts striking and it's all very cliche. Um, then they get to this uh, bluff and Judd's like, alright, dig a hole here. And so they bury Church, go back home, wake up the next day and they're trying to explain to Ellie they're like, you know, Church ran away because they don't want to have the death talk. Yeah, Rachel has got a hang-up about that uh, on account of her sister. Um, or do you want to explain that? Or So her sister, Zelda, had some kind of a scoliosis or I want to say it's like palsy or something. Go ahead. Um, and, when, you know, she was very deformed. Her back was all crooked and twisted. And... In the original movie, I don't think it was explicitly explained what happened to her, just that she died. Yeah, she seized and just died. Yeah. In this one, and, you know, somewhat of a spoiler alert, I'm sorry, but... uh, Spinal meningitis, that's what it was. Okay. Rachel tries to send Zelda... She gets left home alone with her, and she tries to give her her food through this dumbwaiter, and Zelda falls down the dumbwaiter. Right. 
not so, what happens in the book. Is it, it? She just sees us in the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's what happens in the book is pretty close to what happened in the original movie. Um, the only thing that that neither movie really covers is how much or what a bitch Zelda was. Oh, really? Yeah, like she. She was like of the mind. It's like, well, I'm fucked up. You know, God hates me, so I hate everyone else. And so she would like. That's very briefly touched on in this, but yeah, not not real explicit. It's like she would like sh- like she would like intentionally like shit all over herself, so so that Rachel and her mom had to clean it up. It, it, she did that kind of stuff just to be spiteful. Mm. And so that's why later in the book and the movie, Rachel's like, you know. Well, she she's confronted. It's like saying you wanted Zelda dead. It's like, yeah, I kind of did. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but this, I mean, with this, the way that Zelda dies in this kind of makes Rachel's grief more uh, palpable. Like more, it makes a lot more sense. Which, for better or worse, you know, you you could kind of say it's, you know, she shouldn't have felt bad in this one. She kind of should have. Mm-hmm. So. But yeah, so that's why she's got this hang-up about death. And, you know, obviously Lewis, being a man of science, he wants to explain to kids about death. And Rachel's just like, well, no, we'll you know tell them that you go to heaven and blah, 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 bullshit, bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> but they're, obviously they say, you know, Ellie's not ready for that. So they just tell her church runs away. But she's thinking, oh, church is right there. And church is in the closet. And he is just a bastard because he's a cat. <laughs> Cats are fucking demons. Yeah, I don't. I, he just seemed like they're the same cat. He's yeah. just an asshole cat. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just like. <laughs> he seems like James Franco. <laughs> or Dave Franco. Dave Franco. <laughs> Either one. Either one, actually. They're both um, good. <laughs> it's, it's a callback. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tie in. <laughs> but so Judd, who is played by John Lithgow in this one, um, and that's part two is I liked Fred Gwynn's Judd better. Yeah. When they announced uh, Lithgow as Judd, I'm like, that could yeah. work. Like, I'm, I I'm into that. I fucking love John Lithgow. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. But they completely changed the character. Yeah. Judd was kind of a, a kind old man. Uh, he's you know a little rough around the edges, but nice. And this, he's a total curmudgeon. Just kind of a... I mean, he's he's kind to Ellie. He's, he's you know... But like in the book, he's like best friends with Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, and even even in the the first movie or the original movie, that's kind of implied. This it's like they they barely know it. It's like that's my neighbor. Yeah. Um, and he didn't have the accent. Yeah, he didn't have that thick main accent. Even in the book, it explicitly says that he has a thick New England accent. They fucked up. Yeah. And this is part two of Too Clever by a Half. When Judd is explaining. The whole pet cemetery thing and how they, you know, sometimes they come back and they don't come back the same. And he's explaining all this to Lewis and he says, the ground is bad. And Lewis goes, sour. The ground is sour. Because that because that's what Pascal said. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) Why is Lewis telling Judd the correct line? Well, I think Pascal does say that to him, at least in the book. I don't remember in in the original movie, but. I know, but Judd needs to say, the ground is sour. <laughs> Sometimes that is better. It's like the soil of a man's heart is stonia. Stonia. Yeah, when like when Lithgow says it, it just doesn't have that same impact. Yeah. it's. It, I think that is very 
to the point of this entire movie. I'll I'll get into that more later. Okay. Uh, so, flash forward to Ellie's birthday. They're playing hide and seek. Ellie is just kind of off to the side, right? She's hiding behind some bushes, and she sees Church in the street. And just sashaying down the street like cats do because they're little fucks. Yeah. And she's like, Church, runs after him. Gage sees her and starts running after her. Clever by a half part three. <laughs> Lewis goes, Gage, no. Runs after Gage, grabs him right before this truck comes. Truck hits Ellie instead. Now, this is not a big spoiler because they put it in the fucking trailer. It's, it's more epic in this. Which it should be. Yeah, because like... It, Again, like cinematography advances and... Yeah, you know, in, in the in the original movie, it's like Gage runs out in the street, you see the truck, you see Gage, flashback, flashback. <laughs> you see the bloody baby foot. <laughs> the little shoe <laughs> flying through the air. It's so fucked up. <laughs> in this, the fucking truck, like, it, you know, the, the driver, he's distracted by his cell phone. So it's kind of, you know, modernized a little bit. Um, but, uh, he sees Gage at the last second, hits his brakes. Um, but you know, jackknifes. Yeah. I mean, if you know the basic mechanics of driving a semi, you have to break your trailer first and then you break the cab. Otherwise, yeah, you start jackknifing. Um, and apparently he didn't do that. And yeah, the whole thing disconnects from the cab itself. Mm -hmm. And the whole trailer comes swinging out right towards Ellie. <laughs> so she did. Yep. And so Lewis, in his infinite wisdom, he, first he goes and drugs Judd. Yeah. Which I didn't really understand the point of. So Judd wouldn't follow him or something? Like, so he wasn't going to stop him? But he's a fucking old man. What's he going to do? Yeah, just kick him in the balls. His old balls. Just wait till he falls asleep at like six o'clock. <laughs> Right after Matlock. Yeah, fucking A. Um, but so Lewis takes Ellie to the pet cemetery, buries her there. Sure enough, she comes back all zombified. She looks creepy enough. She's got this weird Forrest Whitaker eye going. <laughs> Do you notice Church had that too? I did not. Yeah, it's just like a, a lame eye. I don't know. Oh, I did not notice. Maybe that's how they recognize each other. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Maybe Forrest Whitaker was buried at the pet cemetery. <laughs> but yeah, she's like this zombie now and she's uh, Rachel and Gage go off to her parents' house. She's like, I can't be here. I'm just two in mourning and all this stuff. And so she takes off. And that's when that's when Lewis, you know, brings her back. And she's just this weird, creepy girl who's just like, you know, I know what you did and I'm dead and why, when are you going to tell Blech. mommy? <laughs> Blech. <laughs> And yeah, it's kind of dumb. Yeah, um, basically everything that happens with Gage in the original happens with Ellie. Happens with Ellie, but now she can talk. Yeah, she's older than Gage. You know, she's what nine? I think in the movie something. Yeah, because it was her ninth. That's birthday. right. Yeah, dying on your birthday. That's rough. <laughs> yeah, birthday, death day, death clock. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Not to be confused with Happy Death Day. That awful, awful movie. It's terrible. I still can't believe people like that thing. I can't believe they're making a sequel. Apparently the sequel's bad. Oh, I believe it. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
Ellie kills Judd, you know. Like I said, if you've seen the original, you know how this goes. This is Too Clever by Half Part 4. In the original, Gage hides under the bed, reaches out and slashes Judd's Achilles. In this one, Judd, he hears Ellie in the, in the house, goes upstairs, walks up to the bed. You think she's under the bed. He kicks the bed away and she's not there. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one where I was just like, all right, now we're, we, this is, I'm, I'm done with these. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of lip service to uh um uh to the fans of Stephen King's work. I mean, to the original film, just you know, Stephen King's work in general. There's a point point where Rachel's trying to get back home cuz she thinks something's wrong with Lewis. Um and uh she's sitting in traffic and off in the distance you see a mile sign that says Dairy. Yeah. 30 miles. So that that was kind of cool. That was that was clever. It was a, a nice way of like tying things in without being super obvious about yeah. it. Yeah, because you know Stephen King does that shit all the time in his books. Yeah. Um. So it's it's actually more true to his books than than you'd think <laughs> than to, the rest of this movie <laughs> <laughs> for them to do that. I yeah. I mean, are you are you still talking about the plot or? I mean. Rachel comes home, Ellie yeah. fucking monologues. Yada yada yada. <laughs> yeah, and then the ending is completely different, by the way. Yeah. Which without giving away any details, what did you think of the ending? Stupid. It was stupid. <laughs> um The I mean, I'll just say right off the bat that I was so so disappointed. Disappointed in this whole thing. Um Bait. Like it's been getting such good reviews and I'm like, all right, cool. It's going to be a, a good, you know, dark adaptation. It's going to be creepy and, and it's not a lot of people that I know personally, um, that are also film reviewers have been not giving, giving it great reviews, which I appreciate because I feel like a lot of people feel like they're obligated to because the marketing before the movie even came out was saying, oh, it's the most horrific Stephen King adaptation to date. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, Stephen King said it was fucking terrifying, but Stephen King is a shill for his own work. Yeah, he's like, it's fucking terrifying. Now give me my money. <laughs> yeah, Dan Aykroyd said the Ghostbusters remake was good, too. <laughs> Until people said it wasn't, and then he's like, well, what the fuck, Paul Feig? Yeah, he was like, oh, yeah, I didn't like it either. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm cool, right? <laughs> you guys want some vodka? <laughs> My biggest gripe with this movie, like overall, like from beginning to end, was that it rushed through the entire story to get to the end, which wasn't even the ending of the book. Yeah. Everything up to this completely fabricated ending was just in effort to get to the to the ending. It was all just fluff. It's like it didn't even fucking matter. And it's like, I don't... Do you know the runtime on the original? No. Uh Oh, it's they're almost exactly the same. This one felt longer. Yeah, it did. And it felt like less happened. That was this thing. It's like I'm sitting there in the theater thinking, God, man, this has been running forever. But, there isn't, but then I'm like, jack shit hasn't happened. Yeah. And like... And then it's coming up towards the end, like, you know, just knowing the story. It's like, okay, we're getting close to the end. What's going on here? Um, 
but yeah, they just everything they just flew through it. Um, there was no description of things. Um, you know, uh, there's no explanation of the burial grounds themselves. There's very brief. Yeah, yeah. There, there's no mention. It's like oh, it's the the natives used it. Blah, blah, blah. It's like there's no explanation that it's the Micmac burial ground that it's there's an ancient evil that lives there that predates even the Micmacs and the Micmacs they they would bury their dead there and then they stopped because they knew it was evil and and you get this very brief mention of the Wendigo which I don't think was mentioned in the original movie no I'm pretty sure it's not in the book either. oh is it not I, I thought so. it was from the book but I was like it was like they brought it up and then never mentioned it again I'm like yeah. what was the point of even mentioning that. Yeah, and like there's like uh, markings on a tree. Yeah, never yeah. explain what that is, other than just oh, that's what the Native Americans used it as a warning. Yeah, um, the the deadfall in the book, I can't even really picture it all that well in the original film. I, I don't think it was there. It was. Was it? Well, it wasn't as tall as this. That's for sure. No, but you know, in in the book, it's described as this massive thing. Is this massive barrier that the Micmacs put in place to prevent people from getting there? In this movie, it's just like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll climb up that and then it's fine. Yeah. In the book, it's described as like, you have to follow a certain path. Otherwise, you're going to fall into this shit and probably break your ass. Judd does say, I know exactly where to step. That, and he does <laughs> say that in the book. Um, there, But that's because he's been there before because he buried his dog there as a kid. Right. And the Biffer. guy, the guy, I think his name was Spot in the, or Butch? I don't, I don't think his name was Biff in the original, or in, in the book, I mean. So that's another thing. I don't know why they changed it. Um, but uh, yeah, the deadfall is just this massive, treacherous thing. And I feel like they really downplayed it in this. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, seven or eight feet tall, maybe. Yeah. It's just this wall of dead trees and bramble. But I mean, it's it's definitely more of a yeah. A, aside from just one throwaway line where Judd says, "I know exactly where to step," there's not really this mention of how like impossible it is to scale. Yeah, and, I mean, um, Lewis when when Lewis first tries to climb up, and they do this in the original movie, but in the book, you know, Lewis is trying to climb it, and Judd says, "Follow exactly my steps because I know the way up." And like, there's there's basically one way to get up there without hurting yourself. And Lewis missteps, and he starts falling in, and Judd catches him at the last second. And they kind of do that in the original movie, but they didn't do that at all in this. Yeah, I mean, I'm, they do kind of, but it's seriously like it's like he takes one wrong step and kind of slips, and that's it. Yeah, it wasn't this epic thing at all. Um, another thing that, another thing that I wish they would have put in the original, but they, I think they needed it even more in this one, and they didn't put it in was uh, Judd's wife Norma. She's a she's a character in the book. Oh, really? She's mentioned in this, but it's like Ellie sees a picture and says, "Who's this?" And he's like, "Oh, that's my wife. She died." Yeah. <laughs> in the book, in this, in the book, Nor- Norma and Judd and um, and Lewis and uh, Rachel they all kind of become friends. Um, and uh, they're at dinner one night, and Norma has a heart attack and kind of keels over, and. Lewis, being a doctor, manages to kind of resuscitate her and keep her alive until the ambulance shows up. Judd is eternally grateful. Church gets run over. And that's when Judd's kind of, like, as repayment for saving his wife, 
he wants to do something for Lewis to mm. basically save him from having to face his daughter. <laughs> That's kind of the backstory of why Judd took him up there to begin with. Yeah. And this, it's just like, oh, well, Ellie, she spoke to my heart for the first time in years. Yeah. She's like, come on. And even in the in the original movie, it's not that well covered. But, you know, Norma was a prominent character in about half of the book, and she wasn't in this or the original film, like, at all. Um, and I, I don't know why they left her out. Hmm. Interesting. But, like I said before, they rushed through everything to get to their ending that they made up. Yep. Which just pissed me the fuck off. It's interesting to say that they rushed through it in a movie that's an hour and 45 minutes long. Yeah. But... Well, there's, like, Pascal. He He's supposed to be a more prominent character yeah, than he was. he's barely in this. It's like he's supposed to be, like, this protector. Again, Pascal... Whereas the, the, the burial ground has this emanating evil spirit within it. Pascal is supposed to be like the opposite end of that. Because Lewis tried so hard to save his life, he wants to try and help Lewis. Mm -hmm. And he does that by warning him to stay out of the burial ground. Yeah. And this is like a dream that just kind of yeah, where he's just kind floats of like, around and it's just like, hey, don't do this. Yeah. He's like, oh, don't go there. <laughs> and then it's like he's gone. Yeah. And then he haunts gage instead of ellie yeah that's interesting in the original in the, in the book because ellie can see pascal uh it makes you like a lot of people speculated that ellie has the shining mm. makes sense he stephen king has neither confirmed nor denied that but they don't have that really great scene though where rachel can't remember his name and then he like appears behind her it's like pascal Right. That's creepy as fuck. <laughs> and they didn't do it. There's also no scene of not fair, Dad. <laughs> well, you know, in the book, Gage, like, you know, he's a baby, but um, he's, I was explaining this to my wife last night. When people come back, they are not themselves. Right. They are this evil masquerading as these people. They're possessed, basically. So when Gage comes back, in the, in the book and even in the original movie, it's not explicitly mentioned in the movie, but he is not Gage. He's this entity in Gage's body um, that uh, is just pure evil. And so he actually starts talking. He likes, like when he attacks Rachel and, and ultimately kills her, uh, he like starts calling her like a bitch and you know, like saying that she's going to go to hell. Well, she, basically what Ellie does, like you're going to go to hell with, with Zelda yeah. and you know, this kind of shit. Um, In this though, Ellie is clearly still Ellie. See, that's the thing is like, she's being like this evil version of herself, but it's never really clear. It's like, well, she still has like her memories and stuff. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's very unclear. Oh, and another thing they didn't include, well, I feel like is really important to the story, is um, how, uh, how much um, Lewis and Rachel's dad hate each other. Yeah, that's not mentioned at all. No. Like, you have to, like, if you don't already know it, <laughs> you'll miss it. And people that do know it, the only the only thing that they do is, like, they exchange dirty looks. They don't even speak to each yeah, other. Yeah, when Rachel's parents come and pick her up. That's like the only time her parents are even in it. Well, at, at, at uh, Ellie's 
funeral. Like oh, Lewis, right. Lewis and her dad, uh, Mort, I think his name is. Um, they kind of like exchange a look that looks kind of hostile, but that's it. And it's like, that's important to like Lewis and Rachel's relationship. <laughs> Cause like it kind of flashes back in the book that, um, Mort actually tried to bribe back when, when they were dating, Mort tried to bribe Lewis to break up with Rachel by offering to pay for his medical school. Oh. And he basically said, fuck you. <laughs> hmm. I mean, it's like I said earlier, you know, you can't put everything in a Stephen King book in well, a movie no. because they're, you know, they're so expansive. But I guess what my point is, is that while the original is not that great, I think it did a way better job than this one. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Like, I... I prefer Fred Gwynn's portrayal of Judd. I thought Pascal looked a lot better in the original. I thought the Achilles cutting scene was a t- way better in the original. And and I just, it's like, like I said, you have all these advancements in technology and makeup and all these things. Why is this movie from the 80s just dwarfing you? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that could be just vision vision from the director i guess i mean you got mary lambert versus um uh the guys that did starry eyes yeah which you know starry eyes kicked ass but the thing is starry eyes was so like it it had a very stylized look about it it's true and you i don't think you can do that with this movie no it's you gotta pretty much follow a pattern right this one and you know i never saw the prodigy but i know our friend bob from city of geek he referred to it as toothless, <laughs> even though it was getting these reviews about how terrifying it was. And, mm-hmm. you know, the same thing as this. So I'm not sold on Jeff. <laughs> he made, he wrote Midnight Meat Train, which was good. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, Vinnie Jones just rocks everything he does. So. And how long ago was that? Uh, 2008. So, yeah. 10 years, not 10 years. Yeah. 11 years ago. He also wrote the Jacob's Ladder remake that's coming out. He's writing the Grudge remake that's coming out. A lot of remakes. Yeah, and he's not doing a good job. <laughs> um, Yeah, I was just very, very disappointed in this. Um, the thing is, it's not, it's, you know, we're kind of shitting on it, but it's also because we're comparing it to the original. And, you know, it's, it's not bad. No, but it's it is disappointing. Yeah, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> I mean, you know, for me, as a Stephen King fan who has read the book, um, you know, twice in my life, seen the movie multiple times, and you, not necessarily a Stephen King fan, for us to kind of agree for basically the same reasons is saying something. Yeah, it's like it's not just me having like a sweet spot for Stephen King because you don't have that. But we still agree that this was severely lacking in many things. Yeah. Um, and and I mean, you know, you know, I I do wonder if I had never seen the original and if I hadn't read any reviews, if my thought process would be different. But I, there's no way for me to know that. You know, I am comparing it to the original, and I I did hear that it was you know fucking terrifying and all this stuff, and it's just not. No, it's not. Um. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say it again. This, I felt like it was 
disrespectful to Stephen King's novel that it was rushing through most of the story to get to the part that they completely fabricated. Yeah. I mean, they, the plot points were the same. Like, it's still, like, if you think of, like, things bullet in the... points. Yeah. If, they, if it's like, these, you know, these bullets that they're trying to hit, like, these plot points that they're trying to hit in the story, yeah, they more or less got there. But the way they got there was so completely different, and they basically rushed to get to their vision and left three quarters of the movie completely bare. Yeah. Um, like we said, it, it, this this one feels longer, even though they have very similar runtimes. And it seems like you know, it seems like they're trying to build tension more. At and it, at times it is successful, and other times it's just like nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you when you decorate a Christmas tree, you put most of the stuff towards the front, and then the back gets kind of ignored. Yeah, and most of this movie was the back of the Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, like I said, not bad, just disappointing. Yeah, and I don't understand how the effects are better in the movie from the eighties or nineties or whenever the hell the first one came out. Well, the practical effects; those are usually better. I I at least thought that the Achilles scene would be better. And if you want to see Judd's Achilles from the first one, head over to Mopop and his head and his head, Fred Gwynn's fucking head. Ah, <laughs> uh, five. Yeah, five. Yeah. Man, I'm just like I'm. I'm. I'm disappointed that the movie was so bad, or not. I'm disappointed at what I saw. Yep. And I'm mad that I'm so disappointed. <laughs> and it's like you know, I really liked the original Pet Cemetery. I know it's not great. Dale Midkiff is just insufferable. <laughs> is that Lewis? Yeah. He yeah, he was an overactor big time, but I but I liked it. <clears throat> and so, you know. When they, I heard they were doing a new one. I was actually a little excited. Usually for remakes, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be shit. But I was like, all right, it's it's you know, especially when it's a, a readaptation because it's you're not really basing it on the movie, you're basing it on the source material. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, this could be really. That's good. how they sold it too. It's like this is gonna be more true to the book. It was less. Yeah. Like by far. That's why I was like, you know, what? they're gonna make this <laughs> this dark and gritty pet cemetery, <laughs> and it's gonna be you know bloody and gory and it's going to be super creepy and dark and it's not it like it you know going back to what i said what what uh i mentioned bob said about the prodigy toothless Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and a lot of it was a lot of was cut out um like it almost felt like it could have been pg-13 yeah um you know, there was like stuff in the in the book and even in the original movie. You know, um, there's a whole section of the book where Judd talks about what happened when he was a kid, um, when he brought his dog back to life, when the uh, the neighbor brought his son who got killed in the war back to life. And those things were actually kind of touched on in the original movie, so I appreciated that. I mean, it weren't like a focus, but at least it shows you like a history. Of the story, like the actual burial ground itself, and it kind of fills out the story a little more. Mm-hmm. And that's like when we were talking about the prequel, saying, "Oh, I was well, gonna say, yeah, we'll get all that in the prequel." It's like, well, maybe you should have fucking put it in the movie where it belonged <laughs> to begin with. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's 
honestly, guys, I would not waste your money on seeing this in the theater. Yeah, maybe wait for Netflix. I paid like 16 bucks to see this, and if I could take it back, I would. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I mean, you know, especially if you're a fan of the original, maybe it's it's worth checking out. Although, like, you know, we already mentioned all the big differences and stuff. But, yeah, I would probably wait till it's on Netflix or something. Yeah, or if you can, like, rent it at Redbox or rent it on Amazon or Google or something for five bucks, do that. But don't. I, I would really recommend against seeing this in the theater because it's just not worth it. Yeah. Go see Shazam instead. Apparently, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> anyway. So that'll do it, guys. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I don't, you know, Stephen King, to me, was uh, a very integral part of my love for horror now. I mean, you know, I base a lot of that on my dad. My dad really introduced me to horror and kind of grew my interest in it. Um, but he also kind of introduced me to Stephen King, and that obviously grew my interest, and to this day, he's still one of my favorite writers. Um, and he, 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 he really developed um, horror literature in a way that, like, it hadn't been done in centuries. I mean, really. Like, you think about, like, like Bram Stoker or Mary Shelley. Um, that kind of stuff where it's like a game changer from, from a liter- literary standpoint. That kind of stuff hadn't been done in a long time. When Stephen King came around and... He did it regularly. Yeah. I mean, and just constantly different. Like, almost none of his books are similar. Similar writing style, sure. Yeah. But as far as story, very different. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, just, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for his contributions to um, literature and the horror genre. Um, and I don't, honestly, I wouldn't be here doing this show today if it weren't for him. So... He's probably not listening to this, but anyway, thank you, Stephen <laughs> yeah, King. Probably. <laughs> uh hey, I appreciate everything you've done. And um, you know, well done you. <laughs> Kudos. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, and that's the end of the show, guys. Yep. Um, we have made it through another one. Uh and we'll be back with another one in a couple weeks. Because we just keep doing this. Yep. Like like DJ Khalid says, another one. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say all I do is win, but I guess that was actually T-Pain that said that. Yep. <laughs> it's true. He did say that. Uh, Taylor. Sir? On our next episode, what are we going to be talking about? Uh, it's going to be kind of a salute to folklore horror. Right. We're going to be talking about the new anthology film, The Field Guide to Evil, as well as the Spanish film. Yep. Tony picked a Spanish film. Uh, you know, I, I, this movie, came, it's a Netflix movie. Um, actually, I don't think it's originally a Netflix movie, but it's on Netflix. I saw it in the theater. Did you? Yep. Oh, okay. Well, um, it, uh, I, keep, I keep looking at it. I'm like, eh, I'll watch that another day. Now's the time. It's uh, Aramentari, The Blacksmith and the Devil. Looks pretty solid. But we'll see. We will see. There's only one thing left to do. <laughs> see? see. So check us out then. Uh, you can keep up with us at graveplotpodcast.com. 
Subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating or a review. Send us an email. Let us know you did. Tony will send you a free magnet. Uh, it's a sexy magnet. It's so sexy. Hella sexy. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram as Grave Plot Podcast or on Twitter as Grave underscore Plot. Join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Grave Plot Podcast if you want some exclusive content for very little money. And uh, that's it. Cool. Right. That's it, right? I think so. <laughs> did you say the website? Yeah, that was the first thing I said. Well, then, yeah, I think that's everything. Greatplotpodcast.com. All right, I said hey. it twice. All right, guys. So we'll see you again in a couple weeks. Until um, then, I'm Skeletony. You're who? Well, you know me. I'm Skeletony. I'm Taylor of Terror. <laughs> this has been the Great Plot Podcast, where we're all a little dead inside. <laughs> <laughs>